Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. To it, so rolling start. Um, welcome, everybody. Episode 162 of the Galen Trombley Show. Uh, my guest today, I maybe as do you think you've listened to more podcasts than anybody? I, you know, I, I actually wanted to ask you some questions about podcasts today oh, because I, I, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So I would say uh, 30. You know, I, I, I didn't become aware of the podcast until about a year ago, maybe a little bit, you know, within the last year, year and a half because of Anna. Uh, who she's, is, she's been on plenty. Yes. <laughs> a, a spitfire. Fun to listen to those episodes. Oh, yeah, she's a nut. Yeah. Lover, but yeah, she's an absolute nut. And so when I became, like, she was at the house one day, and she goes, oh, I did a podcast. I'm like, podcast? What do you mean you did a podcast? And then she told me about it. So I looked it up immediately, and I started scrolling through your past episodes. Uh, and I saw, like, John Mulholland. I went to high school with John, yeah. and he's a friend of mine. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is cool. And I listened to uh, John's episode and sent him a text. said, hey, man, I just listened to your podcast. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. And, and, uh, I got caught up in the, you had some great podcasts on during election time last year with Chris Rosenquist and, uh, uh, Scott BB. Um, and I just became, I'm a big walker. I like to walk. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I've listened to, you're a Rogan guy, I think. Love for, yeah. And so, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a occasional Rogan fan because sometimes I find his podcasts tend to sound alike after a while. Once he gets into some similar you know, when he gets starts talking about COVID, uh, I think a lot of those start sounding a lot alike. I'm like, yeah, I've heard this before, but I'm a big uh, Dan Levitard show podcast yep. listener out of Miami. Oh yeah, love Pardon My Take. Yep. And so I added you. I added you to the mix. So, so I'm that, up with Dan Levitard. Uh, you're up there with Levitard <laughs> and Pardon My Take, and uh, yeah, I, I I think it's great that. Uh, you know, you promote the local area so much. It's a, it's fun. It's fun to listen to. I feel, I feel connected to Plattsburgh when I listen to your podcast. I think it's a great thing that you're doing. No, I appreciate that. So I, uh, so Scott Couture, everybody, I, didn't, I never actually said his name, but, um, Scott Couture, um, I know you, I, well, Anna's told me that you've listened to him and, um, I think I, f- when I met you at their wedding, so Brady yep. and Anna's wedding, I, I, I think formally met you, but it was funny because I looked at you and I'm like, I know that guy. And I don't know where I met you before, yeah. but, um, and then as you know, any good North country story would have it. Then it was like, Scott, she's like, Oh, that's Scott Couture. And I was like, Scott Couture. I've heard that name before. And I'm like, Ryan Lee. So yeah. one of my, like one of my best friends is Ryan Lee, who, um, I, I played on the golf team as at the time when you were the golf coach and the amount of times that he references you in a season is quite high because he talks about Oh, you know, my coach, Scott, used, uh, Scott Couture, we used to do this. We used to do bounce back points. He'd give us a sleeve of golf balls. Yep. And like all this stuff is still stuck with Ryan. And now, you know, Ryan's in his early 30s now. Yes. So it's, uh, like I said, you had, you've had an impact there on, on Ryan. And, and he's still a good golfer, way better than me. <laughs> but uh, we, we end up like connecting the dots. So I don't know where I actually, and it has nothing to do with jump camp because I never went to, I'm very aware of jump camp. Yep. But I, yep. I never went, but 
Um, yeah, I don't know where the connection was at first, but I remember seeing you. And I'm like, like this is well before we even started talking. I'm like, yeah. that guy looks familiar, but I don't know who it is. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and something funny just happened to me this weekend. People claim that they say I look like Tom Messner all the time. I get that. Which, and by the way, I loved your Tom Messner podcast. <laughs> he's great. That was a great he, podcast. He's as, as authentic. Like if you see him on TV, he's that way yeah. in person. He's great. And you guys talked about an experience. You were talking about how when you were a kid in New Hampshire, how you thought you saw him on a podcast and, and you guys had a full discussion about that. Yep. And I totally connected to that because... When I, I went to college at RIT and I played my first two years, I didn't graduate from RIT, but I went to college for my first two years at RIT and I played basketball there. And we used to come up and play St. Lawrence and Clarkson. And I remember when we came up on a trip one time, we turned on the, you know, we got back after a late game and we were eating pizza and we put on the TV and there was Tom on TV. And it, I made that same time. I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm almost home, even though, you know, normally six hours away in Rochester. But it's neat how you make connections to places when you come across something familiar like that. So, yeah. uh, but this weekend, my wife and I were, were walk. We, we walked from our house to go downtown and to have some lunch. And we, we were right around uh, our house bistro. And this couple turns the corner and, and the, the wife was like, uh, oh, excuse me, are you two local? And we're like, yes. She goes, Tom. She looked at me and said, <laughs> she goes, Tom. And I started laughing right away because I mean I've been getting that my he's been here for a long time and yeah. I've you know I've lived here my whole life and uh, I've get I've gotten that so many times and I start laughing my wife started laughing I go I know I I, I look like Tom Messer a little bit and uh, she goes oh I'm sorry and we gave them some advice on where to go but. Uh, <laughs> I've just gotten that my whole life that the glasses, the, the tall. So yeah. how many, so that's happened regularly. So, uh, my father, Mal Cuter taught at Stafford middle school for 40 years. It wasn't always Stafford middle school. It was Plattsburgh middle school first, but his, one of his teaching partners was Kate Messner. Okay. As a matter of fact, one of Kate's books is dedicated to my father. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so, um, Tom and Kate went to my dad's uh, wedding, you know, uh, to my stepmom and my dad Mal and my stepmom Ann. And we, it, it was such a joke, we took a picture together and I sent some autographed picture. We got them autographed and sent them to some friends from high school who used to call me Tom and you know, they used to joke around with it. But uh, uh, yeah, so I get, I, I swear when I'm at, I'll be at a store in the city at Walmart and people like walk by me and they'll look and I don't know if it's because their kid went to jump camp, I taught their child or they think I'm Tom Messer. But I, I get it um, 20 times a year, I would say. Somebody references the fact that they think I like, look like. Like when you're up close, you don't think so? But then like if I saw you like walking, kind of the same thing. You walk and like, wait, is that? Because you double take, they're far away. Yeah. And, it, and it's it's always the people that if you don't see them often, you're like, wait, is that? Exactly. Like I've done it before where I see people and you don't want to be rude. I, th this happened at the park. This was last year. We were at the park with our kids. And... There's this lady there, and she had a she had a kid, and I'm like, God, she looks like one of my clients, but I'm kind of looking at her from a distance, and I hadn't seen her in a few. It was kind of like during COVID, I hadn't yeah. seen her in a while, and I'm like she has a kid, and kind of looks like her, and she's moving around, and I'm like, it was awkward to the point where if like I don't go say hi to her, she's gonna think I'm avoiding her. So I'm like, I kind of went up, and I was like, Hey, so and so, and she goes. She goes, I said, Hey, you're, I said, so, and she goes, no, that's not me. I'm like, so sorry. You look like yeah. someone I know. And like, yeah. but I was like, I felt better saying that than just avoiding the girl. And then all of a sudden seeing her like yeah. months later being like, 
uh, you never talked to me at the park. I'm like, well, I mean, she wasn't talking to me at the park, which probably was okay. Yeah. But, but you think you, I mean, in your line of business, how people are in your life for a very short amount of time, right? And so yeah. you're making a quick connection and then you have dozens of those quick connections that are happening I, at any given moment. I try, I try, I don't even know if it's, it, most clients I know very well because you do spend time with them. It, it's, uh, Sometimes it's clients you might have showed a house to, or some, and there's times I've dealt with people in the past, and I'll see them now, and I'm like, yeah, you showed us some houses years ago, and I'm like, either you didn't, you might have looked at homes, then kind of filtered, like never bought something sure. and fizzed out, but, um, yeah, I would say in a, gosh, in a year, I, I see a lot of people, so it's like trying to keep everybody straight, and uh, I'm okay, I'm good with faces, names sometimes jumble up a little yeah. bit, where I'll see someone like, God, I know that person, and. Um, I try my best, especially when they have kids or, and then that opens another can. Cause it's like it's trying hard. to deal with like, I'm sure it's you with like teaching. It's like what, especially if you've had a kid and 10 years later, you're like, Oh my God, is that Tom? Is that, is that Jerry? Is that Jeff? Yep. Is that, you know, and, and I see them when they're 11 and 12. So mm-hmm. a lot of times my vision of that person is them at 11 or 12 years old, unless I coach them or they came to my camp after. And people will say, well, you know, what do you think of this person? I'm like, well, I know 11-year-old Billy. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what 25-year-old Billy is, but I remember what Billy was like at 11. And I think, too, I have a lot of connection points. So, like, you know, with I have, say, 70, 75 students a year, and then I transition right into jump camp where I'm trying to learn 300 kids. And then right when jump camp's done, I'm transitioning into my next class. And what's, what's interesting is it'll be the first day of school. And a student I just spent an entire year with will walk in the building and they'll say, hi, Mr. Guterres. And I'll be like, hey, oh, my gosh, I already forgot. You know, it'll come back to me in a second. But when you're constantly transitioning to different things and trying to find, like you said, I, I, I can tell faces. But like sometimes that name doesn't pop up or it pops up five minutes after I, I see them and I'll be like, Oh shoot. You know, I do remember who that was. I had a, I had a conversation. This was about a month ago. We were at a golf tournament and the guy, this guy rolls up and he's with somebody that I know very well and he comes up and I'm like, Hey, and I'm like, God, I've seen this guy before, but I couldn't think of his name. And so I'm like, Hey, I'm like, and I said, I think I said, we, we've met before, right? He goes, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Oh man, so, so, so sorry. And he kept walking and then we went back and we kind of went over to register. So this is probably, you know, five, 10 minutes later. I saw him again and we're talking. He's kind of there. And I like turned to him like, oh, you're this guy. And I, I did the whole backstory of how we met. I knew exactly the backstory, but I couldn't think of his name. Yeah. But I'm like, I know his face. I know the conversation. I know how we knew each other, but I didn't like, and of course at the time when I first met him, you say your name for a split second, then you have a conversation. So yep. like, the story lasts longer in my head than the actual quick name. Yeah. And there's times like if I talk to you, you might be like, hey, my name's Scott, and I'll have a whole great conversation with you. And all of a sudden, like, oh my God, what was his name again? Yeah. You say it very quickly. Oh, yeah. and sometimes you're just like, hey, what's up? And you just want to get to the conversation. Yep. So a lot of times I have to like slow myself down and be like, focus on the name, 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 name. Because it's, it's kind of, uh, have you ever read, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's up there somewhere. But um I think these seven effective habits of oh, or, Stephen Covey, highly effective habits. There's seven. Uh, it's the communication. It's uh, I don't know if it's Dale Carnegie. It's one of them. How to influence? How does win friends and influence people? Yes, win friends and influence yep. people. So yep. one of them, what they say in there is the name is like the sweetest sounding na- th- word to any person. So if you say Galen, it, it reg- registers to me. Versus if I say it to you, you're like, oh yeah, I know Galen, but it's not as big as Scott. Like someone yep. says Scott, you're like you're you're you know your head's on a swivel. Yep. Um, 
so I try to, that's one of the things I got from that book is like, use the person's name a lot, especially well, one, it helps me remember, but two, um, you know, I try to reinforce the name a lot because I think it goes a long ways to making that person feel a little more connected. Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I, it's, it's still at, at this stage of my career, it's something I need to improve upon just because of the volume of people. A lot of times I rely on my wife if we're somewhere like she's got to feed. who's that again? Who's coming? Who's this? And she'll feed me information. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's, it, it is important. People do appreciate when you recognize them. So, um, so how long does, when did you start Jump Camp? So, uh, 2000. This is 21 That's years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I, and you've always run it. I've always run it. It's a, it's, so, um, when I first started teaching at Beatman Town, I was the JV basketball coach. I started out as a varsity assistant volunteer, and then the JV position came up, became available. And uh, I had a team of great kids, but we struggled. You know, we didn't. Um, we had we we had some kids who just weren't there yet. You know, and and they were play. It's high school sports, and, and like you know, you I've heard you on the podcast talk about coaching at Shazy and uh, well, Shazy soccer is, is legendary, but yeah. you know. A lot of times, I JV basketball, Shazy. So okay, and, and it is at Shazy, yes. Yeah, very tough. So you can get a, a a class of kids who just aren't a basketball class. You know, they were you know, great kids, um, but one of the things that that hit me at that time, and I'm like, we're just not athletic enough. People are just beating us up and down the floor, and I'm young. I'm in my mid mid to late twenties, and I have time in the summer. You know, my my son was born in two thousand. Uh, but I was still at that stage where I'm, I'm active. I can do whatever, you know, I can run, I can play. I'm probably the, at that stage, still the strongest player in the program, even though, you know, cause you, you mature as an adult and you hit those prime years. And, um, so I, I, there was a, at the end of that season, this was just something that was in the back of my head. You know, kids need to do more in the off season to work on their athleticism. Coaches are always talking about, you got to work on your game. And that's 100% true too. But it's got to be a combination of a lot of different things. It can't just be one thing. Yes, you have to work on your skills, but you got to, you got to be in great shape to execute those skills. So um, it was just, even after that season, nothing had settled into my mind. But then the varsity coach, Maceo DeBose, took a teaching uh, counseling job down in Gilderland. So the varsity position was available. For basketball. For basketball. So I, I took it. And... Um, as a young coach, I started looking at the kids who were going to play and I started working out with them. And there was one kid in particular, his name, I still remember Slade Tulip, uh, who I give credit to, to being a big part of jump camp starting. He, he was like, Hey, we got to work out. We got to do stuff. And he was the most consistent. So we started working out after school pretty intensely. I would do it right with him. And, um, one day he's like, Hey, do you mind if my buddy shows up and, and works out with me and works out with us? So a friend joined and we just, I almost started like group. We just had a group of kids working out after school. And I thought, I wonder if people would come in the summer, if I did some of this type of training, plyometric training, um, <clears throat> some strength training. And so I decided to just give it a shot and run a camp in the summer. Uh, a big thing, you know, two big things happened. One, I had already established a group of kids who, who knew what the workout was like and they liked it and they wanted to do it. And then the second big thing that happened is Mark Haley, who was the football coach at Beatman Town at the time, he, he was a, a colleague of mine and he gave credit because the football team has an off-season program where they get credit based on the number of things that they do. 
and he gave credit for kids to come to jump camp. So now it became kind of a pseudo part of the football program. And at first it was just, uh, you know, I think I had maybe 30 kids the first year and it was almost all football players and some guys who were going to play basketball. And there were four brave girls who came and gave it a shot, uh, at that first year. And it was just so small. And I, I was, I, we, I just killed them. You know, I just, at that, we just, pl I plowed the heck out of them way over, you know, too much stuff, but we worked hard and it was, it was fun and we got it. And, um, one day a kid was waiting to get a ride and he, he was on his primitive cell phone back then, back then when cell phones were just starting. And he said, yeah, I just finished jump camp. And I go, what'd you say? He goes, I told my mom I finished jump camp. I'm like, the kids were the, one. I didn't call it jump camp. Really? Oh yeah. I was just, we were just working out. We, like I didn't even call so it a name. This was year one. This was year one. I didn't even have a name. We were just working out, and kids just came I was in the summer. Ask you where the name came yeah, from. and it was I don't even remember the this the kid who who named it, but I'm like jump camp, and then I didn't realize that the, all the kids were calling it jump camp, and that's how the name came to be. I love it. And um, you know, the first two or three years, you know, maybe the first year there were thirty or forty kids, and the second year there were forty or fifty kids, and then. Uh, Vicki McMillan, who was a coach and teacher at Plattsburgh, she, her son was around the same age. She was like, she was like hey, we, could kids from other schools come to jump camp? And I said, yeah, I, I looked into it because I was the booster club sort of sponsored me when I first started before I, I became a business. I, you know, I was sponsored by the booster club and they were like, sure. And then it just started to grow. It was a little, you know, it was, it went from like maybe 50 to 80 and then 80 to 110. And then, and now it's, it's been over 300 for maybe 10 years. Um, but it, 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 like a lot of things, I, I guess it took on a life of its own where I, I set the, I set the camp up and the kids make the camp, you know, it, it's not, I provide the structure of the camp. What I always say is, is it's a camp about you. You get out of it what you put into it. And without, without, in the older group almost passes the, the torch to the younger group because it's obvious they know what they're doing. The older kids look great when they're working out and the younger kids come in and you get younger siblings and word spreads and it's just... Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know if I could ever recreate it. I don't know if I could go back because I think, uh, you had a neat podcast with Sierra Gagno, mm -hmm. you know, and she's starting a fitness business. And when you go back, what's hard about fitness is you almost have to start small mm -hmm. and free. And yeah. that was like early on in camp. I was, I, I basically donated everything to the booster club. I was basically losing money because of gas. I, you know, I, I wasn't looking to make it a business. Uh, it kind of, uh, became a business by chance. Um, so, um, did, did the first, the first year was free then? Well, no, it wasn't, but I gave, I, I, when I proposed it to the booster. So how, what happened is I went to the booster club. I was looking for a sponsor like here. I'm a coach here. Here's what I'd like to do. Would you guys sponsor me so I could be under the, the umbrella of the school's insurance? Uh, so it started out where kids paid a small fee. All the money went to the booster club. And then I took like some gas money and some things to, to cover the cost of the gas just to, but I basically worked for free for the first couple of years. And then when the numbers started getting bigger, um, you know, I, I don't know if I even looked at it as a viable business until, 
the, the maybe the fourth through the sixth year of camp where I'm like, wow, this is this is taking on it's developing its own identity. Um, so. So when when you first started out uh, back in 2000, 30 kids seems like a lot to me for one for year one. Yeah. Like, how'd you get the kids? How, what was it, the buy-in? Was it purely, like you said, the football coach? Yeah, kind of it was players? just that. It was, I probably had eight to 10 kids who I had already been working out with. And and they were they already knew the workout or the foundation of the workout, and we were doing it. And then when, when Mark Haley said, this is, uh, I like this. Uh, let's let's make this part of the off-season program. If you you would tell the kids at their end of the season program, if you go to jump camp, this count every time you go to jump camp, it counts as a session. And they used to get stickers on their helmets. You know how you yeah, get yeah. the football stickers yeah. on their helmets. Ohio so State and stuff. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, there was one year where we bought jump camp stickers. So they, some kids had jump camp stickers on their helmets. So, um, but it, it was that support. You know, it was that first crew of kids who had already I'd already worked out with. So some early buy-in then. Early buy-in, yeah. Um. So when, so did it grow just word of mouth? Is that? Yeah, I don't advertise. I, now, because because the thing is, like, if you tell any. I would say any kid from 2000 to now that grew up in the area and say jump camp, they're like, yeah, it's the thing they do in the summer at Beekman Town. Like, yep. um, like I said, I never went to jump camp. I had friends that went to jump camp. I, it's just synonymous. Like, yeah, we just know what jump camp is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I didn't know who ran jump camp until I, I met you. And then I was like, wow, that what a small world. But um, I do know it's had, you know, it's a very well-established you know, uh, I guess brand at this point where, you know, people know exactly yeah. what it is. I brought your shirt. That's a shirt for Oh, you. there you go. I got oh, you a jump nice. shirt. That's this year's shirt. Do you have a shirt every year? Every shirt. Uh, yeah, I didn't do the... Oh, yeah, the, I didn't do one uh, the first two years. So oh, the third it. year, starting the third year, there was a shirt. Um, oh, thank you so much. So, so now I, f- I feel like actually I'm going <laughs> to cheat my way through and say <laughs> the, uh, all the jump. But, well, uh, what's funny is the... So I have to buy, like I have to, I saw when I walked in here, you have a lot of promotional things for your business outfit. Yeah, yeah. So I have to, I, I have to buy promotional shirts every year now because so many people I've, I have like my crew of people I hand out shirts to because it's a thing. And my wife always says, I think some kids come to jump camp just to, they got to get that shirt every year. And I'm like, Hey, if that gets them there, then that's good for well, me. Well, I think so. So one shirt, shirts are the, one of the best form of advertisement because one, at least I had the mindset, I'm sure you did as a, as a, you know, athlete back in the day is that if you get a free shirt, you're wearing that shirt till like you Absolutely. can't wear it no more. And like, Absolutely. and then eventually you, you cut the sleeves off and yep. eventually it becomes yep. a rag or it comes yep. a blanket or yeah, some absolutely. kind of quilt. Um, but I think like shirts, especially if they're given to you, it's like, it adds an extra layer of like, yeah, I'll take a free shirt. Like nobody's going to turn down a free shirt unless it sucks. Like, yeah. and when you look at, like, I can already tell, yep. The dry blend, like when you start having this, like. Yeah, the polyester cotton, hundred yep. percent cotton. Get out of here. Yep. If you have anything that has some kind of like a dope, like a uh, that blend of fifty fifty, or even the tri blend with the rayon, like yes. that's those shirts people will wear. Yep. So I found that we were doing the shirts. Number one, I'm like, I want to make sure anything we buy, I want to make sure it's good. Like mm-hmm. it's got to have good quality, or else if I if I feel like, like if I feel like I want to throw it out, then nobody's gonna like. We have like beanies, like we have the NFL sideline beanies. Yep. I'm like, I'm going big. I'm getting like the really nice quality. Um, Purely for the idea that someone will keep it. Like you always get um, like thermoses and stuff and water yep. bottles and people get like kind of that crappy cheap stuff. I'm like, spend twice as much to make sure people keep it versus tossing the garbage because your money's in a part. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the shirts, 
Absolutely. The shirts are great. Um, I found those are the best things. You can get some like bulk stuff. Like we have keychains and we have koozies and we have some cool stuff like that. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if I had to pick one thing to hand out people, it's shirts. Yeah. I would get rid of every other promotional item and just put shirts out. It's uh, funny because I'll see them at like, I'll, I'll walk down the hallway in school and I'll see a kid with a, say like a 2012 shirt and I'll be putting them like working the math in my head. I'm like, How'd you get that shirt? Yeah, older uh, sibling. Older, older sibling, things like that. Yeah, and I'm, I've actually started getting, and this has happened in my classroom too, I'm getting kids of former jump campers now. So I've had that the last couple of years where a, ki- uh, you know, a former kid who attended jump camp has now become a parent and their child is at jump camp. Do you think that, uh, is there like a thing where kids try to have the oldest shirt? It makes them shout, sound more like, like established. Well, what's also like if a kid wore the 2021 shirt versus like a 2012 shirt. Oh yeah, you see at camp because you you're the first year to come to jump camps coming out of sixth grade. I let a handful of fit, incoming fifth graders or incoming sixth graders come every year. Usually the younger sibling of a, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say to the parent, you know what the workout is. Do you think your kid can handle it? And they're like, yep, they're ready. So I'll I'll let some incoming sixth graders, but that's a six year span of shirts. Yeah. So when you see it as at actual camp sessions, the older kids like to to bring out the the oldest shirt that they can i i still have a couple of shazy soccer so shazy soccer camp so i think it goes up to like sixth grade i believe i still have it's a green and white one it might have been from my fifth or sixth grade year i still have it it's a large so it's like i've i haven't really grown much yep. since i was a kid i mean i have i've gotten like you know here and there but like you can still fit in a large it used to be baggy now it's a little more fitted but um it's funny when you go through that many years it's kind of like the the idea that you have like a vintage shirt. And I remember as a, I remember as a player and I'd see the coaches, this is soccer and they have like a 1996 MVAC final like t-shirt on. And I'm like, yep. toss that shirt out. Like it's, <laughs> 2006, seven, eight, yep. whatever, or five, six, seven when I played five, six, seven, I'm like, why don't you toss those shirts out? Like, why do you have them? Then I started coaching and I came back and all of a sudden I had like a 2006, like, shazy preseason tournament shirt on and i'm coaching i remember one time looking down it might have been like 2015 or 16 and i looked down I'm like oh my god i'm like the <laughs> you're that guy I have a 10 year old shirt on right now you're not right, even yeah. thinking about it because yeah. like to me it's like it fits it's nice yeah. i remember it's like when i played and yeah and then you realize like these kids don't even know who you are i'm like hey do you remember this player and like and, and like a really good player like never heard of like, you've never heard of this guy and i'm like oh god i'm getting old yeah but uh it's like that realization that now you must have had uh, let me see. You must have had kids of kids you've had. Are you to that span yet? Yes, that's yeah. Okay. I'm I'm definitely I'm getting that way in the classroom, and I just you know I, in the last couple of years I'm getting jump camp kids. Yeah, like uh, mom and dad did this. Yep. Yep. So how's that? They make you feel it's good? neat. Well, <laughs> it, it's neat. Um, it's neat where to see how the camp developed. I, I almost. I, I almost want to apologize to some kids from the first couple of years because I'm like, hey, I was just, we were just working out and we were doing way too much stuff. I hope I didn't get you hurt. Like, you know, the parents probably sent the kids there for like punishment. Wear this kid down. Well, who who did we talk to at the wedding? Who was the uh, Uh, Mario? Mario. Mario. He's like, I hated jump camp. I hated going. I knew it was good, but I hated. But back when I first started, like a lot of things, even when I was teaching, I almost you're bad when you first start you're bad i mean you think you're good you yeah. think you know everything and, yeah. and you realize later on Ooh, I was, that wasn't those weren't the best years i had but you need those years to build and develop and man those first i would say the first handful full years i plowed the heck out of those kids way too many jumps way too many contacts with the ground 
And, you know, again, even 20 years ago, it wasn't way back in the day, but it was still a different time where you, you could pound kids a little bit more and it was more acceptable at that time. But um, looking back and, and what started happening with the camp is it was a pure, pure plyo camp right from the start where we just jumped and jumped and took some breaks and jumped. And then I'm like, man, I got to add more. So you start doing some research and you start following some, some people in the field and learning. And, um, so I'm like, well, I got to throw in some conditioning because they're getting some plyos, but now, so then we added some running at the end and then, um, then we started adding push-ups, and then I got jump ropes, which was probably one of the best advances that I had in my camp is I've got hundreds upon hundreds of jump ropes and we jump rope every session, uh, which is a great skill for kids to do and, and push-ups, you know, people, if people ever ask me about advice, you know, what do you recommend for my kid? Push-ups and pull-ups. You know, those are the, those are two things. If they want to work on strength, push-ups and pull-ups, because you get kids who want to go in the weight room who they want to, they want to bench weight, but they can't do 10 push-ups, um, or they can't lift their own body weight. And so we added, we added body weight component to camp. And so it's really evolved into a, a comprehensive, uh, you know, well, it's funny, it's not funny, but COVID has altered the way I've run camp. So COVID has been good for my camp in terms of I made it much more efficient. Um, I had to, what it, at its peak before COVID, I'd have 150 kids on the field and you would teach routine and the older kids would pass down to the younger kids the routine and it, you would, it would be a decent workout. But what happened with COVID was in order for me to run my camp, I could only have this was two years ago. I could only have 40 kids on the field at the same time. I had to spread them out. They got their own individual workout stations and I, I cut it down to an hour and 15 minute workout. So, and I still had over 300 kids at my camp. So two summers ago, I ran over a hundred hour and 15 minute sessions in the course of the summer. Uh, I was walking that I hit the 50,000 step mark on some days of just, just working camp. Wow. And but what happened was I'm like, oh, I'm giving them in an hour and 15 minutes a way more efficient workout than I was. And they're getting way more out of it. And all my saying was it's it's four dome. It's a cone, four domes and 15 yards of space. That's all we used. And um, I built in, you know, we have a dynamic warm up and then we have push ups. We have jump roping and we have circuits where you're doing um a jumping exercise a core exercise and a push-up exercise uh, and then we do some conditioning some agility work and some conditioning but it's it's really evolved into an athletic development camp where um <clears throat> kid with with the specialization in sports that you're starting to see and kids trying to play one sport and get really good at one sport you're starting to see more injuries because of overuse of just playing that one sport so one of the things I like to do at my camp is just do a variety of things that hit all sorts of body parts, all, all sorts of coordination. And um, yeah, like I said, it, it, it's the stone, the first five years of my camp are the stone age to what, it, what it's become now. Um, well, I think you also now as 20 years goes by, like I said, the science, the research, the, asset, the, um, the availability to research, like you can now go on YouTube, you can go on Google, you can look up anything you want. There's programs you can follow. And I think, like you said, the 
How many sports did you grow up playing? A bunch of sports. Um, Cause you played college yeah, basketball, but I played basketball was my primary sport. But I I played tennis and golf. I played tennis uh, up until I found golf, and then I be, then I became a golfer. I did not play fall sport. I was I worked, um, I worked in the fall. Okay. When I I mean when I was younger I didn't. I tried cross country one year and that was not for me. Uh, I was not a big fan of cross country. A lot of respect for people who can run distance. Yeah. Uh, you had a, on the podcast, so the, the triathlete, I was very impressed. Oh, with Matt. The, yeah, yeah. I was impressed with him yeah. uh, and how dedicated he was to running. But he just did the uh, world's, uh, no, a week ago. Yeah. He was prepping for it. He did the same it. day we did that tournament. Yeah. yeah. He was prepping for it. And I just have a tremendous amount. Even, and to me, three point three point one or what is it? Is that what high school race is? Three point one in it cross country. It might be a five k. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a hundred miles to me. Three point one miles. I'll I'll do short bursts of speed yeah. anytime, anytime. <laughs> My favorite place in Plattsburgh is is Fox Hill. Yeah, I right. love Fox Hill. Yeah. Um, well, I think, and I've done. I used to do uh, sprints up Fox Hill. Yeah, do like sandbags and you yep. run up the, with yep. sandbags. But um, yeah, I'm the same way. I I don't like distance running. My my excuse is that I played a lot of soccer i've had i got plenty of distance that running. is distance running yeah and i said we just run so long my wife's the same way she's like i hate running and my wife played um she played a lot of soccer she played it through college and she's the same thing she's like i ran enough like i'm yeah and uh so uh but the idea of having multiple sports that i'm finding because this happened when i was coaching soccer some kids could only play soccer so yeah. I had, or next day only play but they would only play soccer they wouldn't play any of the sport and then i had other kids that i knew played all three sports and when you look at the athleticism of the two, the kid that played multiple sports was a way better athlete than the soccer player. Now, the yep. soccer player could have been better at soccer, but you could just tell by the coordination and the athletic movement of them, like they couldn't, they, that was, they were very limited where you might see a kid, you know, throw a ball into the bag or something or just some other athletic motion that you wouldn't use in soccer and he'd be able to pull it off. And then you look at the kid that could just play soccer and he's just awkward, like throwing a ball or tossing something or trying to catch something. Catching and kind of like, is huge. Yeah, like Catching throw, is... yeah, throw a ball to a kid that's playing soccer and he kind of like bobbles it where a kid that's really good will catch it. Like yep. it's not a goal. It has it's a little easy. give when they catch, yeah, you know, they give their softens hand. softens the blow, bit, kind yeah. of goes with like the W and kind of pulls the ball in. And um, what I would say is an athletic motion to most kids that, you know, they just didn't have. And, like I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. So I had three sports, three different sports. And I, I'm one of the, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm definitely not the most gifted athlete. I was never the best athlete on my team, but I was always, I would say slightly above average where I could play, but I wasn't the star athlete. But I'm also one that if you told me, Hey, here's a badminton racket, go out and learn how to play badminton. And I played a one sport athlete. I'm probably going to pick it up a little bit quicker. Not to say they might be really good at badminton, but I think by playing multiple sports, the adaptation to other sports happens really quickly. And I find that that's something that we're starting to get away from. Absolutely. But the way that sports is nowadays is it's gotten so competitive that in order to be, unless you are a Bo Jackson, I would say Bo, but you're like a, kind of on that yeah. wavelength, unless you're at that level, if you, you kind of have to pick your role, especially when you go to these bigger, bigger schools. We're, we're lucky we're a smaller area. You go to big cities, like you have to pick one sport. You're Absolutely. not going to make the team unless you're a freak yep. athlete. Yep. And I think um, what happened with me, even though I didn't, you know, I, I, I focused on basketball in high school and I played tennis up until I think my, I think I played tennis seventh, eighth and ninth and then golf from there. Um, but I was still, I grew up in Cliff Haven, even though I went to the city school district, my dad was a longtime coach. Uh, I went, we played out and we'd meet at the park and we played out in the street mm -hmm. and we, uh, you know, we played football, we played wiffle ball and 
and even though it wasn't organized, you developed an, um, just a natural skill set. And I think, you, like you mentioned, you throw a ball at a kid and you can see their eyes get huge and they start getting jerky with their hand movement, trying to time it. And it's, it's definitely, um, it's, it's definitely something that, that I see less of, uh, that being said, you know, with, with kids, I, I see some kids with amazing, I watch a, a kid play a video game or do something and I'll be like, how the heck do you hit all those buttons and, and control what's going on? Like that blows my mind. That takes a, a tremendous amount of hand-eye coordination. Um, but, but athletics, like at my camp, we do so like, I'll have kids somersault and sprint. Yeah. Just to create that, if you get pushed off or, or if you fall in a game and you've got to quickly get up and orient yourself, um, or, or you, you know, you fall and spin and roll and get up quickly. Um, that's a skill. You change that plane, change the yeah, plane. Absolutely. Yep. And we're changing from lateral to straight ahead. We're zigzagging. Um, and then we do some conditioning at the end, but it, it's a, it's a workout now designed to make a, a well-rounded athlete and to help be a part of their off season training. Um, I think the biggest thing, like I've, um, like I've done CrossFit for many years and I, I started, I think I started in CrossFit in 2012, which was something I kind of stumbled on before it was popular, yeah. before we had anything in the area. And one of the things I wish I had as a kid, but I didn't, but it, it still, it got me in good shape. But the idea, the premise behind that, which I think is kind of what you're saying, is that their main aspect is if someone goes and trains, it's you train them to be a well-rounded individual. And then if they go play soccer, they play soccer at soccer practice. Yep. They play basketball at basketball practice because that's the sport specific. When you go, because I find a lot of strength and conditioning, people are like, hey, I'm going to strength and condition for soccer. Okay, great. And they have them do stuff that they're probably going to do in practice. So I'm like, which is fine, but you're you're basically just having them do an elongated soccer season by yep. doing extra stuff. So I said, get them in the weight room, have them squat, have them do, you know, like I said, push-ups or pull-ups or do something where you're doing resistance where you're not really going to use it in soccer. But then all of a sudden when you transition to soccer, you're like, wait, I can hold that guy off You don't a get bit. pushed yeah, off the ball. Yeah, I don't get pushed off the ball. Yeah. Wait, wait, I go up for a header and I can out-jump a guy and I can push him off the ball and, and beat him to it. Um, or even as a goalie, being a little bit quicker off the line to, to dive, it's like you take all those those small aspects that have nothing to do with the sport and then you start playing and all of a sudden, because I, I remember this as players, like, oh, wow, like, I can now do that. And I, and I wasn't practicing that. I was doing push-ups or I was doing squats yep. or I was doing, like you said, some kind of plyometric movement and all of a sudden it transitions to something you had no clue that even correlated. Um, I, I think that that's the benefit. I think now kids are, I never did anything when I grew up like playing sports. If we played sports, I played a lot of sports. Yep. But I was always, I graduated high school 150 pounds soaking wet but playing soccer. Like I, I was fairly good at, you know, the skill set of soccer but I, I, I could get pushed off the ball. I think the only reason I didn't get pushed off the ball when I got older is just purely purely because I was 17, 18 years old. When yeah. I was 15, 16, 17. Um, and I could hold my own a little bit better. But I wish I did when I was a 15, 16-year-old being able to play against an 18-year-old and not feel like you're getting like just manhandled out there because you're you know he's got 20 pounds of muscle on you. Yeah. And you look, if you watch a sport in this area, uh, if you can have an athlete who, can, who has a foundational level of strength and they've got some skill, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. It's that, it's that combination. It's finding that balance too. I, I made a mistake, you know, with my own child, you know, I've been running a camp my whole life, but my son grew young and he was a really good basketball player. And we've, you know, he got into a playing travel basketball and getting involved in that. 
until about a sophomore year, he started getting hurt. And at that, I had to admit, you know, we've kind of done this. This is, we've kind of done this the wrong way. You've been playing too much basketball. And then it was at his, at that age, he picked up soccer. He became the backup goalie on the soccer team just to be part of a team and do some different type of training. Mm -hmm. He did track to, and he became a thrower to do different things because he had played so much basketball that he started getting some overuse injuries in basketball. And, and I think as a parent, I, you get caught up, you want your kid to be good at something. And when they excel at something, you try to encourage them in that area. But even somebody who I promote multiple sports all the time, but I got caught up in that too, as a parent. And I, we had to take a step back when he started getting hurt. Did that help him though? Switching? It did. It helped him. Uh, it did help him. And it also helped him mentally because he was starting to get a little tired of basketball at that time. And, um, fortunately he's, he's a, he's a lifelong, he, he's into fitness and he's into, he's really into kettlebell training right now. And, um, so he developed that drive, you know, that drive, that sports drive helped make, um, athletics a part of his life. But, but I, I got caught up in, in that traveling to a different tournament every weekend, playing fall basketball, then the season and spring basketball. And, and I even knew the research that, it, but but you just get caught up. You're blinded, I think, a little bit too. And your kid, and he's enjoying it, and he's likes it, and he, like yep. kind of like, well, if, you know, if you like it, more's better. If we got a chance to play more, like, um, do you find how was it when you played, and maybe your son or kids that you see at jump camp, like once they're done, say, high school sports or college sports, whatever level they get to, um, how do you find that? Like once you take that out of their life, like that loss, like how did, how did you deal with it? And how do you find that the kids maybe that you have coached yep. deal with it? It's, um, I have a saying that that's the best way to get in shape is to never get out of shape. And, but that's so hard to do mm -hmm. because, uh, and you start seeing it when, when a, a pretty active high school athlete, it doesn't take much into their college career for the discipline of having to practice every day, especially three sport athletes. I mean, you start in August and you basically work out until June mm -hmm. and then you start training again. So you have a three sport athlete in high school that's training all the time. And then if they go into college and, and they stop playing sports and don't have something to replace that with in terms of fitness, it doesn't take long to, to lose your overall fitness level. Yeah. Um, you know, I know they say like the, the freshman 15 and, and things of that nature. Um, and I think you, know, you hit that age level, it's natural to, to do that. But it's more important to me now to focus on the, the, the fitness of the stuff we do at jump camp, anybody can do. You know, I tried CrossFit, it wasn't for me. I, I, um, weightlifting, uh, squatting has never been, I've never been a fan of squatting. And, and at the time I tried CrossFit, it was very squat heavy and it just didn't work for me. And I also like the, some people like the group atmosphere of working out. I'm actually the opposite. I like the, I like, solo. I like the solo. Like yeah. I like being somewhere and working out with listening to a podcast or, um, so, but <clears throat> What I liked about CrossFit was that a drive for people to make themselves better. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what has to happen once you transition out of high school and into college, if sports, you know, if, if competitive sports aren't part of your, your life, you've got to make fitness a part of your life for your health. Um, because it's hard to get in shape. It really is. I, uh, 
So I played sports up until I was 18. I didn't play college sports. And I, I played some co-ed stuff at Plattsburgh. And I remember, I think I was nine, I was 19. So I went a full year with like in college. And then I got to the summer of whatever it was, my, my freshman and sophomore year. And I, I was like, man, I just feel out of shape. And it wasn't like I was, I was physically out of shape. I wasn't heavy. I was still like a light kid. But I remember thinking, I just feel out of shape. And at the time, I was trying to find a way to work out, as with anything, this is my, my fitness journey was, I played sports, went about a year off, and then I was like, man, this sucks. So my first thing was, I'll start running, because that's all you ever know as a kid. Like, I really don't know what I'm doing. I wasn't introduced to a weight room. Um, I still, to this day, have never been to a, like a formal gym. I really, I just been at the CrossFit gym, I do stuff in my house. But I ended up uh, starting to run, and I was like, this sucks. Like, this is as miserable as I remember. It's except, not fun. Except when I was running before, I was running with a team, which at yep. least I could see other guys having to yep. do it. So it was like that accountability. Yeah. Now I'm running by myself. Yep. So I do that. And then I ended up finding like like the bodybuilding splits. I'm like, let me try that. And it got, it was, I liked the aspect of I could see the numbers and stuff, but I was like, this is boring. Cause I'm not a vanity guy. I don't care what I yep. look like. I'm not like working out to like look big. So I was like, this kind of sucks. So I, I got kind of, then I started sitting there. I'm like, you know what? I want to just train like I'm an athlete, even though I'm not an athlete anymore. Like I still want to have that mindset and I still want to have that drive to pretend that I'm in shape to play athletics. So I started kind of doing some research and I remember finding, this is back in the day, um, def, I mean, internet was out and stuff, but I was, I went to uh, borders and I remember going to the fitness section. Yep. So I used to go there and like, especially when I was a kid or just like killing time or if I went like, so I was sitting there looking through the fitness books and I bought a few of them because I like, I like books and I like reading, I like research and learning. And I found this one book and I'm sure I still have it. It was probably at my parents' house somewhere. And it was this really cool book talking about splits and what it was more dynamic motion. So a lot of it had to do with the bigger compound lifts. So it was like back squats and front squats and deadlifts and uh, cleans. And um, I started kind of learning that. And that's how I got introduced into CrossFit by, by just, I literally stumbled upon CrossFit a weird way um it basically found it kind of on youtube and yep. one person mentioned it and i looked it up I'm like this is stupid and then it wasn't until months later that i saw it on youtube i was like oh this is kind of cool and that was really it was to find that ability to like train like i was competing kind of like as an athletic yep. motion and then also being able to track my workouts because that gave me a metric to prepare myself yep. so it was kind of i was never i was never somebody to compare myself to other people but i and i still don't really do that but i like comparing myself to myself sure so it's it's that inner drive that every everything I do, I try to just be better than it was the day before, which I know sounds cliche, but if you're by yourself, like you, if you're by yourself, working out by yourself, there's no one to compare it to but yourself. So like, ah, well, did I lift more? Did I go faster? Did I, or did I feel better at the end of the workout than I did a week ago? Because maybe it's a little more comfortable now. Yep. I, I like, um, another thing that happened during COVID is, so when we first went remote at, at Beatman Town, uh, well, everybody went remote, but... <clears throat> Our normal start day, we start pretty early at Beatman Town. You know, I'm our first kids walk in the door at seven thirty. They walk in my classroom at seven thirty. That's so early. It is it feels early. early. It's yeah. very early, and you know, I'm I'm usually at school by you know before seven o'clock. But what happened was we didn't start school until eight o'clock when COVID happened. I'm like, wow, man, I that's found that's found time mm -hmm. in my day. So I started getting up and going to Fox Hill every day. I'd get up, I'd post my assignments, I'd be at Fox Hill by six thirty in the morning. And what I first would do is just basically run up, walk down, run up, walk down. And then I was trying to hit a number. 
And then I'm running one day. I'm like, dude, you're just going straight up. There's no lateral movement. You're just going up and down. You're working the same muscles all the time. Let's, I'm going to try slides today. So then all of a sudden I mixed in sliding one way, turning. And sl so I'd slide my way up the hill. Is this kind of like a shuffle? Like, like a shuffle, like, yeah. like a basketball defensive yep. slide. So you oh, yeah, yeah. slide up and then I'd pivot the other way because I wanted to work both sides and I'd pivot up. I'm like, that's pretty good. That's hard. And then, so then I started doing, well, now I'm going to slide five times and then pivot and go the other way. And then this time four and then this time three. And then I'm running, I'm like, uh, you should try running up backwards. So now all of a sudden I'm like backwards, which is hard yeah. running up Fox Hill. It's like you're in quicksand. Yeah. And then one day I'm like, you should try bear. And I'm just having conversations in my head and, and I'm like, so I bear crawled up Fox Hill. Mm -hmm. And then how about lateral bear crawls? How about crab walks? How about, so all of a sudden. Did you bear crawl down? And then actually I had, uh, <laughs> I got to give credit to uh, Peyton Parliament, who's an athlete at Beatman Town. I was working out with a group of kids at Fox Hill last summer. And uh, you know, there were six or eight of us there and she was one of them. And we, we bear crawled up and then there's a little wooden beam. If you've ever been at Fox Hill, right at the top of the hill, there's okay. like a little wooden beam. And so we got up there and we were done. So we, we, the little tradition is we sit on the beam and just appreciate our workout. And Peyton was sitting there and she goes, I wonder what it's like to bear crawl down. <laughs> and everybody in the group was like, you did not just say that out loud. And I'm like, let's go. And we bear crawl down, which is really hard. But you start working all these different muscles. Yeah. And what, the, the reason I tell that story is because the evolution of a workout. And what I like about working out is is just trying some different things to challenge myself. Um, so what started out as me just running up and walking down Fox Hill and getting maybe 20 to 25 hills or 30 hills and now has developed into this, uh, I do a ton of different exercises. Then I started bringing my kettlebell in. Then we started running fence to fence where you go all the way down to the outfield of the baseball field. Oh yeah, and then you, And you run all the way up. And then we called them doubles. And then you're running up and then coming back. And so I developed these on my own. And then I had, you know, I do have some kids join me for those workouts from time to time. Um, you still do this every morning? Uh, no, but this was during COVID. COVID okay. but, so what happened, yeah, sorry, I got distracted by my own story. So what happened is I do, I'm doing this all the time, every day. And I had, a, there's a, a, a Plattsburgh graduate, Ian DeTulio, who plays football at, at uh, Castleton. He's a good kid and he's a hard worker. He, he got in touch with me. He's like, hey, are you working out? Are you I'm like, yep, I'm at Fox Hill. I'll be here. I'm at Fox Hill tomorrow at this time. And he shows up. Now, the last time Ian had worked out with me at Fox Hill, we were doing the volume. All right, we're doing 40 hills today. We're running up and walking down. Sets of four, taking a minute break in between. And then, so he thought he was showing up for that workout. Well, I'd been working out since March. And now he's, now we're looking at, this is probably, you know, late May, early June. I had no, I was in really good shape. I had no idea. I just went and worked out every morning and then just kind of built this workout and he does this workout. He goes, I had no idea what I was showing up for this morning, <laughs> but it made me, but the other thing too, and that builds into a huge philosophy I have is just doing a little bit every day. Um, I think sometimes people think getting in shape is an overwhelming thing that you have to just kill yourself all the time. And I don't see it that way. I mean, I do maybe two or three hard workouts a week. Um, that some people might not even consider hard. I consider them hard and I walk a ton. Yeah. I mean, well, relatively hard to you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then I just walk a ton, but it's every day. Like I, fitness is a part of my life. And I think, um, you know, when, because people, when, when you, 
people probably ask you about real estate all the time. You know, people ask me about exercise and, and working out. And I, I just say, you know, consistency is the key a little bit all the time. And it doesn't need to be over the top. And that was something with, with CrossFit. When I did CrossFit, I loved the body weight days. Like if you would, you would do rows and then run around the facility and then pull-ups and then you would do that four or five times. Like I like those, those are the kind of days that I really like doing things like that. Um, I almost wish they had like a, like a body weight, like a body weight class oh every day only. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I, th I just think that I got myself in really good shape during that time just by being consistent and, and just trying some different things and making the workout, owning my own workout. Well, I think, uh, yeah. So back to like getting in shape, I've like right now, this is the longest I've been out of working out in over a decade like just many reasons i just really haven't prioritized it as well as i should have and i look at in my head i always get more discipline like around this time of the year and i don't know if it's the school i think it has to do with the weather getting a little more like less out and about doing stuff and more people stay home so i usually get super consistent and for me and i'm getting there like i was like in my head i'm like it's gonna be october it's gonna be october basically it's the end of golf season I'm like once golf ends and i kind of you know then i'm gonna start buckling down and usually for me, you know, there's there's two things. It's people always say, "Well, ease into it." I'm like, "Yes, I, I will ease into it in the sense of I won't. I can only do so much. Like you're, you're you got to build up the tolerance to work out. Yep. But I know myself. Like there's five things that have to happen in order for me to like really be in working out. And I go all in on all of them from day one. So it's working out, like the actual physicalness of working out, which I try to do four to five days a week. Yep. Number two is I will go sometime in October, whenever I decide to start, until probably through the end of the year, and I would say probably through January, I track my food, like every single meal for about three months. And it get, like usually people are like, well, that's crazy. I'm like, well, it's, it's difficult for about a week, maybe mm -hmm. two weeks, and then, then eventually it's like, okay. It becomes your habit, it's what habit. you do. Yeah, and I've never had a hard time doing it, and if anything, you start losing the craving for crap, and you start wanting to eat good food, and so that's that's the big one because nutrition's huge. And then number three is I drink more water, yep. which is you know something I I drink a lot of coffee, but usually when I start working out in the morning, I drink a ton of water, and I kind of I, I, I like uh, I front load my day of water so yep. I can drink coffee. Um, I enjoyed your podcast with your buddies that did the coffee. The, oh, they yeah. were funny. Yeah, Dan and Joel. The, yeah, they were. Oh, funny. they're great. I, I got a kick out they, of that. They uh, so actually uh, Dan and Joel rolled in here with actually i'll tell you that story but <laughs> so uh number number uh so water number uh four is um like mobility so i stretch every day yep. and i have um and i have kind of apps and stuff that i use but i stretch every single day which is like worth the weight and gold absolutely and then number five is sleep and then usually when i have all five of those things everything else in my life becomes really good you're mentally better you're, yep. you feel better you're not as achy um, I know right now, like I feel more achy, I feel stiffer, I feel like all the negative effects, but those five things, if I can, I go all in, meaning I'm like working out, boom, 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 yep. I start tracking and then I start stretching because I build that in like before and after. And then I make sure I drink enough, which is natural because I'm thirsty and then sleep. I'm like, nope, I'm going to bed this time, waking up this time. And yep. I get very, very like disciplined on it. And it's crazy where, like you said, I take that's an ex extreme in the sense that I just force, I basically go cold turkey, but opposite. Like I sure. go right into it, but I don't expect that that habit is going to make me all of a sudden really good shape in a week. It's not no. like I know going into it, this is what I have to do over the next six months. And then I'll be really good shape come, you know, I would say February, March and April. 
and it always happens like that. And then I'm like, you know, what? that's all I want to do. So I, but I, I, it's like a lot of my goals. I, I'm a very near far side, far, like my, my goals, I like to stretch out. So I like to have goals, but I give myself time to accomplish yep. the goals because I think realistically you talk about smart goals, like that. What is it like uh, measurable, attainable, yeah. realistic, all that stuff. Um, the whole idea is that if I want to get in really good shape, I'm giving myself six months of that protocol that I just gave to you, yep. which will bring me from October probably to sometime in the spring. Mm-hmm. And at that point I'll be like, I feel really good because I put in the work. But I think the problem is, is I'm sure maybe you found this at, at jump camp. Kid goes in the jump camp. Like I'm going to be a starting, like starting person on the team. Like, well, you're 20 pounds, 30 pounds overweight. You haven't really played sports. You haven't really, you know, you're, you're going to do jump camp. You're going to go home and play video games and eat crap the rest of the day. Like, you got to put everything together where, like you said, it's what you get out of it. Like if you go and work out, great. What's the rest of your day like? And that's, and that's something I talk about because jump camp's only a couple of days a week. So I, do, I have Mondays and Thursdays, they do a session. I run hill workouts on Saturday mornings. And then we talk about habits. Um, and, and like you say, it's amazing. And, and um, right away, you knew your program. You said, I have five things and you were able to rattle those oh, yep. five things off. And you had that because you've developed that program Like you found when I mix those five things together, did anybody tell you those five things or did you, you develop like, that's your, that's what you do. Well, I know all five are important, but each individual, how I do it and what I do in the amount, um, I've trial and error and asking people. And then, and then, like I said, the trial and error part is what works for me. Like yeah. I know, I need to follow this stretching protocol. I need to follow, everybody has a million different ways for diet. I like tracking macronutrients because for me, it keeps me actually from under eating and I eat the right proportion. And then that's, those are the main things like sleep. Like everybody says eight hours. Like I really try, I'm going to get up at five. I got to be in bed by about nine 30, 10 o'clock. And it's just purely to get enough sleep. I, but, but what's important, what I find people are successful and they do like what you have done. You've got your five pillars almost, yep. you know, I had somebody who wanted, I had an adult in the last couple of years that they, they say, I want to, I want to pay you to set up a program for me. And I'm like, I'm an English teacher. I'm not, I said, you know, like when I coach golf at Beatman town, I wasn't a golf coach. I was an English teacher who enjoyed playing golf yeah, yeah. and working with kids. So that's, so I, I sat down with the person and I'm like, I'm not going to give you a workout program. I'm going to give you a lifestyle. Like, and that's what it's, it's not, if you live this way for an extended period of time, you will reach your goals, which is exactly what you're saying. I give myself six months and nothing's going to happen in a week. And I think, I think that's, what's frustrating with people is if, if they don't see quick results and it's nice to get some quick wins, but if I, to me, it's more important what you look like two years from now than what you look like two, you know, two months from now. Well, someone can train. I've seen people again, they, they go to the gym at CrossFit at their one year mark. It's so funny because you see people almost every day. So you don't really notice it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden a year they're like, Oh my God, this is what I look like a year ago. And you're like, no, sh-. like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think that when people give themselves, like I say this a lot in like business, especially when people get in as real estate agents, I'm like real estate super easy to get into it's super hard to stay in meaning like it's easy there's a 75 hour course anybody can do it um 75 hour course and about two grand and you become a real estate agent the problem is like how do you get that longevity where you stay in the business and grow the business and everything else and the one thing that kills me in the real estate world is somebody comes in and they give it a year and then they back out in the second year that they don't renew the license and they're out and like this sucks it's hard i'm like well one i told you it's hard but two be fair to yourself like it why do you think you can do it in a year like I've, I've managed 
like I've managed to stay in the business for over a decade, but I'll tell you my first two, three, four, five years was a struggle. And, and, and I'll be honest, I'm, I think I'm someone that is very patient and, and, you know, fairly driven, but even like, there's a huge learning curve. I'm trying to make it easy on you, but give yourself three years, like really give yourself three years and, and feel like, Hey, if I'm coming in in 2022, well, let's give 22, 23 and 24 a shot. Maybe January of 2025. If you decide it's not right for you, that's the right time to get out. Um, unless you hate the business, mm-hmm. but don't get out because it's tough. Like yep. if you like the business and it's hard, well, it's like real, or it's not real. It's like uh, working out. It's like, if you like working out, but it's hard, then you're probably doing the right thing. Cause like success is hard. Yeah. <laughs> not, oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. And, and I'll get somebody like somebody I know who I, I've got friends who, who've known about jump camp for years and they, they get shirts, but they don't, they have no idea what it looks like and they'll stop by for a session or they'll be like, Oh my God, I, I had no idea. This is what, this is what you do. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is what it looks at. Like you're 20, 21 yeah. year one through five. Oh my God. Like no way it didn't look like, but you have to get, like, I had to be bad in order to be good. And that's the thing about golf. That was, that's one of the challenges about golf. A lot of times with golf, you got to be bad before you can be good because you have to get that. Every, it, it's a very hard sport to be good at at the start. Well, well take, I mean, take, take any sport in its infancy. Go back to the early days of golf, and it's like, how are these guys hitting with those clubs? And they're hitting all over the place, and they're wearing, like, ties and vests yeah. and sweaters. And, and then you get to the point where, like, the Ryder Cup yesterday, where, like, that's an evolution of hundreds of years of golf Absolutely. to the point where now it's, like, it's such a science. Yep. Um, but you, you – and if you really look at golfers and it – not the, I wouldn't say the physical aspect because you can have a guy like a Shane Lowry and then you have a guy like a Matt Fitzpatrick or Dustin Johnson and Matt Fitzpatrick, yeah. like these two opposite body people. But when you really look at a golf swing, you can arguably say they set up about the same. They have roughly the same amount of turn. They have roughly the same amount of forward shaft lean. They have roughly the same amount of, you know, maybe when they, they come through impact, the release point, and then, you know, they have a roughly the same amount of uh, compression or like all the really nuanced parts of the swing, you're like, oh, they're all within the same amount of degrees because what's happened is over years, you're starting to define that perfect golfer. And I go back to like CrossFit for years, they started, uh, you know, I think the first CrossFit games was 2007. And you look back then, like I was super fit, but the people that were making the CrossFit games, there was a variety of sizes and shapes. They're all athletic, but sizes and shapes and body types. Now you go to 2020 and you kind of look across, like you're starting to find the person that wins the games every year, at least from the male side, is about five foot nine, maybe 190 pounds. Like they've kind of not, I would say five foot seven to five foot nine, 190 to 200 pounds. And like that is the mold that has been the last 10 champions because you're finding that big tall guys or the really small guys are starting physically to, they're kind of on the outlier and they can't make up that well-rounded person. Yeah. And you took it, uh, help me here, Matt Frazier. Is that, so I've seen some documentaries on that. And when you get like, there are certain heights, not to, not to pigeonhole. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who's going, this guy's so wrong right now, but like there's squatting fits certain body types and Mm -hmm. a lot better than other body types. And when you're talking the volume that they need to do, you know, you said five nine, five ten is Matt. Well, Matt. So Matt, for I've, so, do you, you know Matt's from Colchester? Yeah, he. Right? I've. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've met him a couple. T- I mean, not the, like buddies, but yeah. like I've seen him a couple times. And he's five foot six. He's yep. an inch shorter than I am, and he's about the same weight as me. Uh, no, he's built like a brick shit house. Yeah. Like he's just like muscle on muscle. I what? Yeah. Nice. But yeah, did you see this guy? When you talk about squatting, you take a guy that's five foot uh, five foot six, 
and have him squat versus someone like you, his range of motion is shorter. Yeah. And the, now, now you could argue, well, if he's doing rowing and you got a guy with a bigger sure. pole, sure. but if you have to really take all the different things that they do, when he can sit, arguably he can squat 500 pounds and he can, you know, and he can, uh, like I said, do a snatch of 300 pounds and he can clean and jerk almost 400. And then you ask him to do pull-ups. Yeah, he's going to outdo some guy that's a big dude that can do the same weight, yep. but now his cycle of certain motions is quicker. So a lot of it is you, you really start to find that athlete. It's like, okay, well, if you can get this height and this you know range of motion and this body weight to support the heavier movements but still be able to run a five-and-a-half-minute mile, that's where you start to find that freakish like yeah. athleticism or well-rounded fitness. And But I think it's... I think you probably see that again, and just as simple as jump camp, you start to kind of see which athletes can do jump camp a little better. So you're going to have a big, maybe a big heavier guy is going to have a little more difficulty than a small little kid that might be able to be quick, but maybe their explosion is not as good because they're not as strong. Yep. And you find like, hey, we really know that the kid that's 160 pounds and is five foot ten is going to excel more than you know yep. some other kid. Yeah, has that athletic body type, like that fit for that position. Yeah. And, yep. Now, do you find when you Again, being on the sidelines, watching kids play, and are you coaching anything now? I'm not. I, I'm. You know, basketball is my background. I. I um, the last sport I coached was uh, modified basketball, like two years ago. So I've coached golf. I coached golf for maybe eight or nine years at Beatman Town. Uh, I've been um, a modified coach, JV coach. You know, at, like, and I told the story earlier that I got the varsity job. I had. Um, I never took, and then I never ended up being, I trained with a team during the summer, but my daughter was born with some health problems. So um, I never, never ended up being a varsity coach, but I've coached at multiple levels. I, as an assistant, I've coached at the varsity level, but um, I, I'm taking much more pleasure at this stage of my career, like with the jump camp and seeing kids yeah. improve um, than the day-to-day coaching. Um, but it's really fun to to go watch a game and see jump campers out yeah. there from from you know I'm a Beatman Town guy, but you know kids come from all over to do jump camp. So I see kids from other schools as well, and I I respect I respect the workout. Like if I know a kid has put time in and has shown growth, you know that's kind of become where I that's that's my eye now I'm looking for that kid who's willing to to work hard um and I think that'll go into adulthood if you see somebody who's just willing to put in effort uh that it's, it's hard to it's there's no you can't teach hard work you know well I think and and I remember that was something that I kind of like you know a kid you know yourself like people are aware or should be aware of their self you know for the most part and that was I I always talk about competitive advantage, and this isn't anything like again in real estate. I talk about the competitive advantage of your house. And now, you know, when I was playing sports, like what was my competitive advantage? And I remember having these conversations like in my head as a kid. I'm like, you're not the fastest, you're not the strongest, you're not like, you know, you're not the best at defense or whatever. But what can you be good at? Like I understood the game very well. I yeah. was like, I, I watched a lot of sports. I understood it. I really tried to understand like the X's and O's of a sport just to have that the mental edge on kids. And then, uh, and then the other thing was like learning positioning. Like I learned how to position myself. I learned kind of how to not waste movement at certain things. And then I to purely like, I, I know I have to like, I have to work harder than the, the really good athlete Absolutely. because that's about my only shot I have sure. at staying in the game. Sure. And I, I think that's transitioned 
out of that into my life where like I still have that mindset. Like I still have like, I know I'm not the smartest. I'm probably not the, you know, the more, most articulate. I'm not like, there's a lot of things I, I know I'm not good at, but I don't look at that as like, you suck. I look at it like, okay, what's my competitive advantage? And let's dive into that. Like, you know, balance out my weaknesses, like try to make those a little bit better. So they're not terrible, but also double down on my strengths and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not really good at this, but I'm really good at this. So let me try to put more of that in my life because I'm good at it and I enjoy it. And I, I find that the, I, when I was coaching, there's certain kids that I really liked because they weren't the most skilled, but they were the kid that would bust their ass. They were the kid that if you asked them to do something or you were coaching them, they would take your advice and they would implement it. And, 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 and I'm, you, I guarantee you've had this. It's like you have that really good athlete that won't listen to you, doesn't want to be coached, like thinks they know it all. I'm just like, okay, man, like you're good, but your potential is not even close to being maxed out. And the thing is, you have such a head start over Johnny, but Johnny's willing to work hard. So he's going to, like, you know, if I kind of use like a potential scale, here's your potential. Johnny's going to be here and you're going to be still here mm-hmm. better, but not up to where you should yeah, be. Yeah. And you see that a lot in sports. Like I, I, a term I've used is modified superstar. You see a kid who maybe hit puberty early mm-hmm. and they are dominating at the youth level, but then they don't develop. They don't do the things that it takes to develop, not even as, not even as a, as a, as an athlete in that sport, not as a soccer player, a basketball player, not as an athlete, but also as a teammate, because there's, um, your value as a as a member of a team is hard because uh, we tr- a lot of times we think of ourselves as individuals, but then we play team sports. So, for example, I was fortunate to play, you know, going, you know, playing the way back game. I was fortunate to play for Kevin Doherty at Plattsburgh High School, um, and we had a very good team with a lot of role players. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to college, you know, I say I played college basketball. That's a loose term. I was on the team for two years at RIT. But what happened was is. I got that North Country eye-opening experience where I'm like, oh, I'm not that good. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm a, I'm a decent player. And, like, I, I understand the game, like you mentioned, but uh, I'm a dime a dozen. There's guys way better than me who've played way more competitively in way more competitive leagues. And uh, so I had to find my niche on the team because I, you know, immediately there, I'm like, I'm not good enough to play here. And I kind of went to the coach and said, God, you know, I uh, appreciate the opportunity, but I think I'm over my head. And he goes, hang in there, stay with it. And so I had to find my niche, and it was as a practice player. You know, my role on the team was to be a good practice player, and my role was to, you know, I, I had to keep the, D, the team GPA up. You know, that was my role. So when a, when a kid came in who was being recruited, my coach would have me show him the academic side, and then I'd pass them off to an upperclassman to, to, to maybe show them another side of camp, another another side of college life. But I think sometimes when it comes to team sports, um, we focus so much on the outcome or the skill or what you need to do. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the big picture of the game and what kind of teammate can you be? And sometimes those kids, like you're talking about, a kid who works hard, who's willing to sacrifice, who's a good part of the team, those are sometimes the most enjoyable kids to work with. Oh, those are my favorite kids to work yeah. with. Um, did you watch the Ryder Cup yesterday? I, di- I did. Now, you're throwing out names like the, the the Fitzpatrick. Is that the kid who put the ball in the water right at the very Manny end? Fitz, Matt, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think he's like five foot five yeah. and weighs probably 120 yeah. pounds. Those guys are unbelievable. Well, the, to go back to that is you talk about an individual sport. And I, one of the coolest things, there was two things, moments that happened yesterday. Obviously, the U.S. slaughtered him, which I'm pumped with. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a yeah. U.S. guy. But... Um, so, but the two things that really stood out the most to me was, did you hear Rory McIlroy's 
comments on the 18th hole. When he, when I saw him break down a little bit, he was Absolutely having, broke, tr- yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, get, so he starts talking. So Roy McIlroy, one of the best players yep. on planet earth and who's been around for, you know, now, you know, probably 10, 15 years gets up and basically said like in te- like fighting back tears, like, you know, we play like an individual sport and like, but he goes, having played now in multiple ones, he goes, having played in this event, he goes, this is the best, this is the best, um, this is the best thing in golf. Like this is the best, best yep. thing to be a part of. It has yep. nothing to do with an individual. And when you look at them, like for someone that has majors and they play a sport that's individual to come on a team and basically say like, he's like, I don't give a shit about like, I don't cry over an individual. He goes, I, you know, this means more. And then, which is really cool to hear from him. Cause he's always, he's a very honest guy. And then you go into the press conference and like the European guys, like I, I watched the entire European press. I didn't watch the U S press conference, which I saw some funny clips, which I probably <laughs> will go back and look because yeah. Um, I think there's a few, a few of those guys that, that had a good time last night, yeah. but yeah, um, they were right. They were drinking right on the 18th. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah you could Xander see Shockley yeah. had a, had a stogie the whole yeah. time. I loved it. Um, I was actually messaging a couple guys. I'm like, these guys would, these guys qualify for a scramble team. <laughs> They're doing it right. So, but I remember, well, I was watching the European tour or the European guys get up and a couple of them, like, um, uh, Ian Poulter gets up basically and says like, this is where we play a very selfish game. And now we you know we're playing with you know, we're playing with these guys and this means more. And you could tell that they, they were like distraught. Like if any of those guys would have lost in a playoff or a major, they wouldn't have been as distraught as they were on that team event. And I remember they get up and one of the guys asked Rory McIlroy what Roy question, basically like being one of the, you know, premier players on the team, you know, you won one point, blah, blah, blah. And he gets up and he says, kind of paraphrasing this, but he goes, goes, yeah, I'm disappointed. He goes, I won. I think he only won one point the whole weekend. And he goes, but he goes, the thing is, he goes, you're on a team. He goes, I'm, I'm disappointed it didn't put out a good result on the on the course. But he goes, a lot of times in team sports, he goes, a lot of it has to do with stuff that you don't see. He goes, I try to be a good teammate. I try to be a good teammate this week. I try to be a good teammate throughout the year, trying, like, depending on guys. Are, and you don't know what conversations these guys yeah, had, yeah. like, at a, you know, maybe over dinner about, like, he used to mention, like, Shane Lowry's one of my best friends. Like, maybe... Shane Lowry's sitting there like, man, I really want to make this team. And he's saying, hey, buddy, just keep doing this, keep doing yep. this. Like, you don't know what they're doing in the background that might make him a teammate where it's like, hey, you won three points. And I know it sounds funny because this is, you know, it's the Ryder Cup and that's obviously the big thing. We play in this golf tournament. I know it sounds it sounds cheesy, but like we play in the, the For the Kids golf tournament, which is now becoming to the point where like the guys we have playing in this, which makes me so excited is there's a huge buy-in to this tournament now. Oh, Maybe I like can tell. I can like tell amped. listening to the podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. These guys, are, and, and it's funny because a lot of them play, they're competitive guys that played sports or girls. We had a couple of ladies play yeah. and like, but they're competitive and they don't want to lose against another person. So you could feel it like that day and you showed up, there's just a little bit of more yeah. eeriness because people are like, like you could tell people are just a little more concentrated on what they're doing, a little more focused. But when you start going on some of these, some of the guys didn't, like I was going through the scores today. I'm like, okay, this guy was 0-3. But I was like, yeah, but he was like a good like a good person to have on a team. And it wasn't as, you know, we don't know who's really playing with each other until like probably six weeks out. But it's still the idea, like some of these guys, even if they don't put up a good number, you don't know what they, maybe they won a match with a teammate but lost a singles match. Yeah. But maybe they won, like I won one match out of, the, out, of the, out of the three, I lost two. But like in one of the matches, I know my score kind of held our team in it for probably six holes. And then my partner ended up playing really well mm-hmm. the last three holes to like actually win yeah. the match. But I was like, you know, and you don't see that aspect of it where some of those guys, it's kind of cool. Cause like you look at it as a whole, con- whole conglomerate 
and it's the it's all the little pieces that are and again some people are role players like hey you have yeah. to just go out and be really good yeah. at alternate shot and if you lose your single whatever but you didn't lose two matches you lost one so it's kind of a net yeah. like or net out zero so I like the Ryder Cup yesterday was the two coolest moments was Rory's interview and then just the like the way Europe was responding of like you know this is way bigger than you know a, you know a, a generic golf tournament because you have I mean at that point you're a team and like I always find. I never played golf in high school because, and I know there's a team aspect. Yep. I played baseball one because I knew I was never going to play baseball after high school, but also I had a team. So I was like, I kind of like the team aspect versus I'll play individual golf the rest of my life. Yeah. What I enjoyed. So I played high school golf for Rusty Bigelow, who's still coaching at Plattsburgh high school, which is impressive. He's, uh, he does the golf, junior golf camp, right? At Bluff. Great, great guy. Great, uh, promoter of the sport. Um, and, um, he makes kids feel good about playing golf, you know? And when I played in high school, it was match play. Okay. Yeah. And I liked that because what's hard about golf is you could have a great round, you know, you could on a nine hole match, you could have seven good holes mm-hmm. and two bad holes. And that's, that, that's still, you know, when I, you know, we talked before, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bogey golfer, you know, and I, and I go out a handful this year, last year I played, I think I played two times last year and this year I'm like, I'm playing more golf, which I did do, which is probably seven times this year. And so when you, you have a ten, I have a tendency and it goes back to that bounce back with when I talked with Ryan and the kids I coach at the end of the round, sometimes you're thinking about those two bad holes and you forget that you had seven decent holes. You know, you know, I shot a 44, but I had six pars, you know, and you start thinking you had two bad holes that killed that. And, and um, I like that about that watching the Ryder Cup this weekend, you know, the, the conceding putts and the next, next hole's a fresh start. Mm-hmm. You know, I was down, you know, one, there were some holes where someone was down three and then two holes later they're down one. And that's exciting. But when you're going with stroke play, um, somebody could have one bad hole and get a triple. And all of a sudden, you see that in tournaments where somebody's leading and they, they have a bad hole. And then all of a sudden, they're tied for 20th or something like that. And I, I like that, too. I love following. I love the podcast leading up to it. My, my favorite, I love the podcast when you had... Uh, um, Nick Dodd and, uh, um, and Rob and Rob. Yeah. And that was a fun, because what I really liked is you guys analyzed a lot of golf holes in the North country, yeah. which was neat. It was neat to hear people's take and some strategies you had. And I actually, I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I, th- there's two holes in the North country that bug me. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to talk about those holes with you. I, I want, have one and I'll go, well, I want to hear what your perspective I wanna, is first. I want to get your feedback on these two holes. So I grew up playing at Bluff Point. I li- grew up in Cliff Haven. My dad got me a junior membership when I was in like ninth grade. Um, and he would drop me off and I would play, play Bluff. I ended up working there. I played there so much one day. I was playing the third hole and uh, uh, a guy w- drove up in a cart and said, hey, you need a job? And I started working there. But <laughs> the first two holes at Bluff Point drive me crazy. Because, and I understand the business aspect of life and selling lakefront property and putting holes. But when I grew up, there were no homes on the first two holes at Bluff Point. Mm-hmm. And so, the did you play the old Bluff Point before homes were there? So, before you leave, have you ever looked at the, the 100-year the, book? So, I was working at Bluff Point when, it's Herman Doe, right? Is that who wrote that book? It could have been. So, that book came out while I was working in the pro shop when the, we had those books all over the place. Okay. And we were selling those so, I books. have one on the shelf. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. So, it's like a coffee table type book, right? Yes. Long and, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, um, 
so I, so I'll go back to your question. The only thing I remember from the I would deem old Bluff Point. I probably started playing Bluff Point sometime <clears> in the early two thousands. Um, I don't remember if there were holes or not. I'll be honest. Some of the houses on Bluff, I know, were probably built after I started playing there because there's some newer ones. The one thing I do remember though is that number five had a big tall hedge row all the way down. Absolutely, the left side. just the the trees. And they probably right. took that out what ten, twelve years ago. Yep. So so the Bluff Point I grew up on, no homes. So I, I'm not sure if you realize this. The first hole, the first green at Bluff Point, used to be over close to where that first house that first house on the first hole oh the green was over the green was over there i know the t-box was actually back up okay and the t-box was up top to the well if you're fa if you're facing the first hole to the left of the mm -hmm. where the restaurant and the pro shop there used to be a restaurant up there so up it's top. not as much of a dog but it was more of a straight shot it was a straight shot now the t where the t-box is now that was like the weekend or the championship the t the, the where it is now is hardly ever used but the green used to be over. You could actually, and you could actually hit the ball in the water on the first hole wow. if you. I mean, it wouldn't. It was. It would have been a, a you know, like not a the greatest shot, there. but it, it was a possibility hitting the ball in the lake on the first hole. And it was a beautiful green. That was. A, that's a Tillinghouse course. I mm -hmm. mean, that's the same yeah. guy, Beth Page Black, yep. Wingfoot. And so there was a beautiful. That first hole was there. And how many golf courses do you go to where you hit a blind tee shot on the first hole? Blind tee shot with a, like a mid iron. But yeah, but I mean, how many golf courses? Yeah, very rare. Very rare. So that used to be, now I'm not saying it wasn't drivable back then, but that was a different hole. It was a straightaway hole. The lake was in play for your typical, you know, some of the better golfers would like, I never hit the ball in the lake. Huh? Well, I did, yeah. you know, <laughs> but um, they, they destroyed that green and they, the they, they put a road and they put those houses there and then they built the green, the new green, that which is different than those, that, that green is not like any other green on the course. It has a different shape. It has different contours. It has different elevations. Um, and so it bugs me that, you know, you're, you're hitting a, a blind tee shot on, onto that first hole, like you said, with an iron. And I'm at a stage right now where you guys were, I was laughing because you guys were talking strategy. I'm like, that's, they, you had some good advice. There was some good advice given in that podcast, but I'm at the stage now. I'm, I play a handful of times a year. I'm hitting driver all the time. I'm trying to drive that green. I don't care. <laughs> so off number one at bluff, you'd hit driver. Uh, if I'm just out playing with my buddies, you know, yep. we get out and we're just, yep. You know, three or four swings to warm up everything you're not supposed to do. And then just swing away and then try to hit it. And then you, you hit it once or, or you're up there close, you know, uh, most of the time, but you know, sometimes you're behind those trees there and you're trying to have to figure things out. Um, but it, I missed that straightaway first hole, the way it was built. So I've never, so no, I've never played bluff that way. I've always played from where it is yep. now. This year I played bluff. This is the last two years. I played a lot of golf cause I've gotten back. I used to play a ton of golf when I was a yep. kid. And then when I was about 18 or 19, 19, I kind of stopped playing. And I think what happened was I started to, uh, one, I got older and most of my friends weren't playing as much. Uh, the I didn't have the money. For, I say I didn't really want to spend the money for the greens fee or for the, uh, the membership. Yeah. And then two, I ended up moving to Plattsburgh. So like I always played at North Country and, yep. um, and I was farther. My buddies weren't playing. I just didn't want to go play by myself. I didn't know anybody in Plattsburgh. So I kind of got out of it because of price and also because of just, I didn't really have anybody to play with. So last couple of years, Ryan and the guys, a lot of these guys in the in the uh, in the uh, tournament 
have become, are really good friends of mine, but we've been trying to make a point of it to golf all, like I say all the time, but when I say all the time, it's like once a week, maybe mm-hmm. twice. Yep. Um, so I played bluff a handful of times this year. I've hit off that off number one. These are the only three clubs I've hit off number one this year, a seven, a six and a five iron. Yep. So it's, it's, it, I used to, when I was kind of laughing, you said driver <laughs> and me and Ryan have this conversation all the time. We'll be playing in a, in a match or a scramble. And uh, sometimes we'll say to each other, like, nah, go, go, go high school Ryan on this. Meaning just grab, <laughs> grab the highest yeah. club you yeah. can hit. Meaning yeah. a par five, you're hitting no matter what driver three would yeah. all day long. Yep. I play bluff. I can play bluff all 18, all five par fives. And the most I will take is a three wood off a of number five and pretty much everything else. I hit some type of long iron or hybrid off of because yep. I can't get there in two on any no. of them. And, uh, and you've just put yourself in trouble by trying to put something out hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So like number eight and Alec Godin always loves it when I do this, but I'll hit a five iron off and I hit it short of the hill. And then I hit typically like a seven iron down to like a sandwich. Yeah. Cause I'm never going to go for no, it. That's smart. Yeah. And, uh, and the thing was all year long I was hitting driver off that tee and I kept like, I would say if I hit 10 drivers off that tee, I would hit one or two really good drives. I would hit probably like five, I would say four okay drives and probably three of them I'm, I'm dropping. Yeah. Like pulled it left, shanked it yeah. right. Yeah. I've never gotten in trouble with a five iron off no. that tee. And, and, and back when I was coaching, we played Adirondack. Uh, yeah. When I was coaching at Beatmantown, Adirondack was our home course, which was a huge home course advantage mm-hmm. in the high school golf. But um, you, can, you can shoot a decent score at Adirondack without hitting a driver one time the whole round. I, uh, I, do you remember the, uh, the, I think he still does it, the Willie King Golf Tournament, Junior Golf Tournament? I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm familiar with it. Okay, yeah. so Willie would always post this sometime in the summer whenever mm-hmm. it was and i i don't know i might have been like a sophomore or something in high school and i played in the tournament and i was i never played high school golf but i was I, at the time I was a pretty good golfer and i remember he paired me up with this kid from saranac lake and i don't remember the kid's name he ended up winning the tournament with like a 78 maybe mm-hmm. and he hit a three iron off every single tee and i think the I think the only time he hit a driver, I don't even know if he hit a driver, might have been on number four, yeah. par five. Yeah, you can hit it because it opens that's open. Like, that's like a normal hole. Yep. But every yep. single hole, number 15, number six, number 16, yep. he hit, I think he had a three iron off of every tee and he was never in trouble. No. So he just got to the green and yep. made to putts and everything yep. else. And that's the key, especially at that course. When I coached there, it was that was the big advantage there. Let other people come in and make mistakes, but this is your home course. Mm-hmm. But um, this this... So the first hole at Bluff, the the hole that drives me the craziest in this area, and it's you're about to open up a can of worms because I think I have the same. Okay, Go it's ahead. the second hole at Bluff Point. All right, now here's the deal. I grew up playing this Bluff Point. No homes, no homes, no road back there, nothing. The second hole has one of the hardest greens on the course. That heavy, the heavy slope. Yeah. Okay, and it's tiny, mm-hmm. and it's tiny. So. Before homes, you could bail out as far left. You could almost go, there was, it was rough, but you could go all the way to the water and you could hit like a, 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 you know, seven iron in. You could go as far left as you wanted to. Now that hole, they've built those, they've taken out the whole left side of that hole. Mm -hmm. So unless you hit a perfect drive, those two giant, those two trees on that corner, are uh, are now in play, and my contention is when you took out the left side of that hole, you got to cut those trees down. Now I know they're kind of like 
They're kind of like signature parts of that hole. But you took out the left side of the hole. You took out the bailout option. Scott, Scott I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there. I'm going to clip this part and I'm going to play it because the amount of times Alec, Ryan, Jared, Meg, anybody that I play golf with, I've bitched about those two trees on the right <laughs> for, for a couple years now. And everybody's like, ah, oh, but I'm like, listen, I, so same thing. When I was a kid, and I, I didn't think about this until you just mentioned it. When I was a kid, I used to hit a driver off that hole or a three wood, and I would blast it down the left side. I could get it down that little nook past all the trees, but it, there was no, like, I wasn't scared of hitting it anymore. No. And now I'm thinking about it in my head. I'm like, how come all of a sudden this two hole got really tough? Because I never used to care about it as a kid. And now, over the, oh, technically over the road, is out of bounds. It is. So this and then is, some of those people who live there don't. You know, you don't want to, you know, you're like, I'm just going to go over and grab my ball and take oh, a yeah. quick look. And no, 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 I, I know what you're talking about. So yeah. the, uh, but when you, so again, I'll go back to this year. I started off hitting a four hybrid. Now this is the fairway that I've hit the most. So one and two, because you're hitting an iron off the tee. I've hit those fairways more than any fairway at bluff all year long. Now the amount of doubles and triples that I've hit at bluff. So this is a number two. This is the problem. I've started out with a four hybrid. Now my four hybrid, I would say on a good shot goes about 220 yards. Okay. That has gotten to the point now where I took that out of the bag. I'm like, there's no point. So then I hit the, I hit a five iron for the longest time for probably two months. I hit a five iron. Mm -hmm. My five iron, if I hit it anywhere center or center, right, hitting the fairway, I had to, and I ended up having to take either a sand wedge or a, or a gap wedge. Or for some reason, I like really hit it not great. I had to take a pitching wedge. And every single time, I had a tree in front of me. So in order to hit a shot, now this is my this is the reason that I'm complaining about this. I'm, I'm 115 to 135 yards out in the fairway, and I have no clear shots of the green. And my issue is in golf, I'm all for having challenges. I'm all for if you want a fairway bunker, you got to play around it. And I guess you could argue, yes, you got a tree there, play around it, which is what I do now. But so I've gotten to the point now that I hit a six iron. So I will hit a six iron. I will aim left and I will smash it out as far as I can down the left side, basically with the hope that I don't overhook it out of, out of bounds to get me to about 150 yards on the far left side. Yeah. And even at 150 yards, I have to hit a cut around the tree. Yep. So the amount of times I get up or because the two trees have grown up, so there's kind of like a peak between them. Yeah. If you're really good, you yeah. can split it. But typically I get up and I'm like, okay, great. Now I have a nine iron in my hand and I still have the damn tree. I can see the left side of the hole, but now I have to try to play a cut shot around up and over these trees. And again, I'm in the center. I'm actually on the left side of the fairway. I know. So my contention on that one is, there's two trees there. I don't even think you have to take both of them down. I think you have to take that tall one on the left that has grown up again since I played probably another 15 feet in the air. And it's it's about five years away from hitting, if you were to hit a shot in the center or the right, where you physically probably couldn't even hit it over that tree anymore. Yeah. And, and again, if you are if you jam it in the right side and you're out on the car path on the right, I get it. You should have trees in your way, totally fine. But if you're dead center of the fairway, mm -hmm. you should not have a tree but the yeah the original design i would imagine of that hole was hitting like cutting it to those trying to stay as close to those trees as possible gets you closer to hit a short iron into a small green yeah. the green is the defense of that hole absolutely and so 
the idea is, okay, you can take a shot to get close by hitting it, hitting a driver. But if you hit driver, you're hitting it. You're, you're also taking a chance if you cut one to bring all those trees into play. Mm -hmm. The bailout, which is what I used to take all the time, was just play left. Mm -hmm. And so you're giving up the, the, the thought of hitting a short iron into a protected, you know, a, a small green that has heavily sloped. So now you're hitting a longer iron into a green. So the, the greens, that protection, I just cut those trees down and put in a nice bunker there that, that mm -hmm. gives it, makes it be a penalty. But they, once you put those homes there, you got to redesign that hole. You took yeah. out, you took out and, the bailout. And you know what? That, I, I've complained about that tree for, and, and it's a weird thing, kind of like the Tom Messner thing, going back to like where you found, like <laughs> I remember seeing you somewhere. I just look at that hole the last couple of years and literally until this conversation, I didn't realize this, but I've complained about those trees and in my head, I'm like, why, how come I never complained about these trees as a kid? Like it just doesn't make any sense. And then I started to realize like, when you just talk about adding the house, I'm like, I don't know if those houses were there. And I also don't remember those, obviously the trees weren't as tall because this was 10 years ago. Yeah. And I just remember I would always pull out a driver or a three wood if I, as I got older, my driver was too far. So I take a three wood out and unless I like sliced it right, I was never in trouble. Like I could hit it down. Yeah. If I hit a straight shot, I was, I was fine. Yeah. Now it's like, you really like, it's the tightest driving hole where like the only play you really have is like I said, I take a six iron, I hit it down the left side and I know I'm going to have probably a pitching wedge or a nine iron or an eight iron into the green. And every single time I'm most likely, unless I pull it in the left rough, if I pull in the left rough, I typically get a straight shot. If I put it in the fairway where you're supposed to put it, yeah. I have to hit a cut shot around this tree. Yep. Because again, the way the green slopes, you can't just aim at the left side of the green because it's going to kick off. So you you got to hit the right side of the green. You're almost better off hitting it like just in the right front or the right yeah. rough because it does kick on a little yeah. bit. But it's uh, like it does funnel left, but it's such a that is that's the one that I have the the most complaints about because it just it's I don't think you should be by hitting and by playing it smart, like it's not like I'm hitting a driver and getting penalized by that tree. I'm hitting a mid iron out there to mm -hmm. a long iron, and I can't hit another iron into the green mm -hmm. without being penalized. And if you if you pull a driver there just a little bit, you could you're be out of, out of bounds. You're out of bounds. You know, you have to hit a perfect drive. And I, you know, I just that that would be when you guys were analyzing all the holes. I'm like, I want it because I when I talk to my buddies, you know, I'm I'm the one who played that course growing up, and I and they've heard me say it a million times. This isn't the first two holes are not bluff point. They're, they're not the course that was designed. And, and I, and I'm not, a am not, I understand that owning a golf course and having lakefront properties business. And, mm -hmm. and, and I get that same thing with those, those cabins. Yeah. Uh, they're great for that. I think they're a huge part of their business right mm -hmm. now, but it's strange for me when those didn't exist as a kid, boy, they put some of those, you can, uh, well, those first, first two on the right, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd get those because you're, you're getting a lot of, yeah. I've hit those a few times. I hit, I hit one this summer yeah. and it may, it sounded like a shotgun. You imagine, know, if like, imagine like in the morning around and you're trying to like sleep in and yeah. off, off the top at 7am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, number two, I also, and I, I, I take it back a little bit, but not much because I still have this argument. It's not as strong as number two. Number two, I think that left, that far left tree should be down. I, you can make an argument for both, but I think that far left tree has to come down. Yeah. The, the other argument I have is number eight. And again, it's kind of classic at this point, but. The problem, again, that I have on number eight is if you hit in the center of the fairway, majority of the green on the left side is going to be blocked by that willow. 
And then on the right side, because that, that has kept growing out and they haven't, it does. Really, they haven't, they really, haven't, you know. they haven't really cut it back at all. You could argue that you don't have a clean shot at that green from a lot of different angles. Mm -hmm. And I typically, you can't miss right. If you're in the right rough, you can't go at the green. No. So if you miss left, there's more margin, a lot more margin for error. But you have a blind shot because of the willow tree. Yep. And if you hit, and arguably, if you hit it in the center of the fairway, both sides of the green are kind of blocked. I would say more on the left and the right. Well, I guess I'm kind of giving you a bad yeah, analogy yeah, here with yeah. your hands. But um, on the left side, even if you hit in the center of the green, you could argue that the willow tree is still blocking the left portion of the it green is. a bit. You can, obviously, you can hit a wedge over that. Yeah, the willow's low. It's because of the contour of that area that willow sits lower. Mm -hmm. You can go over it. But you're right. They should... You, the the right side is completely taken taken out, and you're right. You could be in the fairway and have to play to the left side of the green and not have a have a straight shot into the green. Yeah, and I, I don't think on the I the willow tree I don't mind as much because at one point I was like take the willow tree down, and I thought started thinking about it. I'm like the willow tree is not a bad issue. It's only a bad issue because the right side gets overgrown. Yeah. And I think as the right side gets overgrown, that slot is very yeah, small. It is, and when you and you think about it, I'm not even like I'm not even sitting there thinking like, hey, I'm trying to hit a 230 yard shot over the water. Like I'm taking, I don't even play that shot. Mm -hmm. I always play it in three. But I'm like, if I hit it down with a wedge, and I'm like in the right side of the fairway, or even if you miss it by like two or three yards, two or three yards, you have no shot at the green, which to me blows my mind that you could barely miss the fairway, or even on the right side of the fairway you still have a portion of the green that I like, consider blind. Yeah. And the other thing that, so when I was growing up, that area between um, eight and 18, that was open. There, you know how they've oh, grown? Oh, with that like so, little quarry thing? Yeah, so there used to be a member's practice area because when I was growing up, Bluff was a member's course. I mean, it was still a public course, but it was, there were, um, they're actually just starting to get more members there again, but they went away from members for a while. That was a that was a short game range. Oh, that'd be awesome. So there were flags. So in that area, there were three flags of different ranges, so that you could members could go down and work on their you know their nine iron and in game. You couldn't hit, you couldn't hit you know probably beyond an eight iron, but it was a practice area. So you used to be able to on on eighteen, you could hit one pretty good right. I mean, there might be a few balls in there. You know, some people might have left some balls on the range there, but um, same thing on on. Eight, eight, uh, a, a shot to the right wasn't didn't didn't wasn't a lost ball. Mm -hmm. You could play. Um, so they've made some changes over the years that I wish you know the the older part of me that goes back to my youth. I wish they could have kept some of those things in. Yeah, and I, again, I'm golf's golf. Like you should be penalized if you get a bad, bad shot. I always yeah. complain though if you're in the center of the green, like number two, and you can't have you have a blind shot. You can't even see the green. Yeah. Or you can't even hit over. Like I've been in the fairway. I'm like. I guess I'll just chip over to the other side of the fairway and hit in because you can't, there's no, unless you try to like punch something under a tree, which to me seems crazy because you're in the fairway. Yeah, um, absolutely. The other, we were talking about, uh, I don't know if it's about North Country. I used to play all the time growing up. And one of the things that I really like about North Country is they started to put trees in because it used to just be a big field. Oh, they used to, and they grew up reeds in different areas. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and now it was funny because a lot of these guys would go up and like, yeah, North Country's easy. And I'm like, it, I would argue that it's probably easier than some holes because it's a little more open. Um, but if you start to look at it, the rough's typically a little bit longer. Um, I think the the rough's longer. The greens are harder to hold. The, like the That's actual small. green is, it's, yeah. uh, well, 
everything I'm trying to think directional wise here everything on the west side of that course before the stream was the old nine so all those you can see all those greens are all built up yeah and you know when you add like number one and number two and number 12 and number like you start getting these uh, number 10 that they're have a lot of slope and they're hard like it's very hard to hold number 12 yes. it's very hard to hold number two because yep. it's just like concrete and the other thing is those greens are the fastest greens in north country yep. so you add all those things mm-hmm. long rough like flat greens but long rough fat you know faster greens it starts usually windy. Yep. You start to add these elements in there, and you're like, okay, it does hold. It's it has its own perks, but it does hold. Um, it's definitely harder in some aspects. Where I find bluff is very much you get up. It's a softer course. Yep. Like it's a little wetter, yep. and and it doesn't get dried out as much. But the one thing, twofold. I love that North Country starting to plant trees up because mm-hmm. now even going back, I'm like, I was playing a number eight there, and they have a tree now on the left or. If you go down number eight, there's two water holes, or yep. par yep. five, there's yep. two waters down about 100 yards yep. out. On the right side, so I'll make it easier. If you're coming this way, here's yep. the green. So you have the, here's your, here's your left and here's your right. There's a tree now coming off the right side water right on the edge on the inside of the fairway. So we were playing there oh, I didn't few, notice a that few thing. weeks back mm-hmm. and I hit a ball. And I remember hitting, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm in just, I'll be short at the walk because I hit the club to make sure I was short. Mm-hmm. And I, I pushed it a little bit. So I'm like, I'll be let's say five yards into the rough, three yards, four yards in the rough, but short of the water, I'm fine. I have 100 and maybe 20, 30 yards into the green. So I get up there and there's this tree that they now have at the end that's like a, probably a 15 to 20 foot tree. And in my, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I never knew that tree existed because as a kid, it never did. Yeah. So I was sitting there, I'm like, oh crap. So now I had to, same thing. I had to kind of shape a shot over this like tree yep. that was like directly in line with the flag. Um, like number two, they added trees. I love the fact that they're adding trees because it does add a little bit more, yep. you know, you can't just go out and, you know, number two, you can't just sling a shot and, and don't care if you be out left because now they have trees. It's a yep. little tighter hole. Yep. The one thing I, I dislike about it though, um, number one, they have trees and you're going to start to see this become a problem. Same thing with bluff. Number one, they're starting to have trees go all the way down the left side and come around by that water. Yep. which is fine right now, but wait till those trees start coming up because what you're going to have happen is you're going to have people that are going to hit the ball in the fairway on the left portion of the fairway, so center all the way to the left side, and you're going to have a couple trees that people are going to have to now hit over or yeah. around. Yeah. Like My thing is I love the idea of the trees on the left side, but don't make them go all the way along the water because yep. to me, you got to keep, you got to still, if you're in the fairway, you should have a shot at the green, like a, a shot where you're not making these now par five and you're trying to go at it in two. Yes. You should be able to shape sure. a shot. But if you're going in regulation, I think you have to have at least an open shot because you're rewarded for golf hitting in the fairway that you should be in a good spot. The other thing I don't care for is that number nine, number 17 and number 18. I don't think I'm missing any. Those are the only ones off the top of my head. They started to add trees down the fairway. Well, if you look at number nine, and if you look, and it's even more pronounced in number 17 and 18, 18 the worst, they added trees that are probably three or four yards off the fairway. Yes. And my thing is... 18 is right in the middle. Of, it's like, it feels like... Well, you have those two big tall ones in the yeah. center of the fairway, which I think are gimmicky also. Yeah. Like kind of yeah. Those, you know, again, you dead center of the fairway, you can't hit the green. Yeah. But those have been there since I was they a have kid. Been. So I'm used to those. But... Um, the whole idea is the one on the left, especially the left side, they've started adding trees in the fairway. I'm like, why, why wouldn't you add those more towards the cart path yeah. where if you hit it a bad shot left, you'd yes. be in trouble. You're almost better missing it far left than three yards off. Cause eventually when those trees grow yep. up, you're going to have some shots. And I, I don't think I'm going to be far off on this. 
that if you miss the fairway by a yard or two, you will not have a shot at the yeah. ball because they're so close to the fairway. Because yep, right. once those branches come out, you can't have a swing. Yeah. You got to give people a chance to bail out somewhere. Like there's got to be a chance to, uh, like, like you could hit a good drive on, like you said, those trees have been there forever, but you could hit a really good drive and those trees are in play. Mm-hmm. But you're saying like, if you bail out too far left, uh, or if you if you if you just take your drive a little bit to the left, now those trees become in play. It makes it too much of a precise driving hole. Well, my so my th- well yeah so two things. I think those you have a bunker on the left side, and I think on the right side, like you had said with number two at bluff, I think you're better off taking those two trees down. Yeah, and then just putting a fairway bunker. Yeah, so you have two options. You can now hit a drive over the bunker, which you you know I would say for most people that's kind of a risk, risky shot. Yep. Maybe for younger guys or guys that can hit a little farther, it's not that big of a deal. Um, or take those trees down and put the bunker out maybe another ten yards down the fairway. So yep. then you kind of have like a little staggered bunker play. Yep. The 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 ones I'm referring to is if you go over the bunker. So if I was to take out a driver, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to the point in that hole, your best. The best play on that hole, at least what I found, you have two options. Is you hit a mid iron out to like 180 yards mm-hmm. to try to avoid all the trouble, and then you have a really long iron in. Or, because it's not that hard, is you take a, a driver and just blast it down the left side. And even if you pull it right, there's some trees, but you're typically okay. The, the problem I found is that you, they're adding trees on mm-hmm. the left side of that, off the fairway. I mean, if we're if this is the edge of the fairway, they're probably at the wall, and I'm not. And actually, I might be giving them too much credit. Really? So if you ever go up there and look, I just played this. Actually, I played the day after. I played in a scramble the day uh, after. The day after you guys played, and I I missed the tree uh, by the water on eight, and I miss it, and I didn't see that, and I'm missing the tree because we when you hit when you just one of us hit a good drive and so we did i wasn't really you know the one thing i have noticed about there from when i played there growing up uh was they've let like the overgrowth areas the reeds and the i like those areas because you used to be able to just blast anywhere you wanted to yeah and i and i like i like how they're making it tighter my favorite course growing up around here was uh, adirondack yes because i liked i liked how you had to shape your shots and i liked how it was a little more and but I grew so I love the idea of them adding trees to North Country. But I'm like, how do you add a tree? And maybe there's a reason for it, but you're two to three yards off the fairway. So yeah. again, when these grow up and, and start coming out a little bit, you can miss the fairway by a yard. Yep. So you could hit a really good shot and be like, oh, that's great. And all of a sudden, get up and it rolled a yard out of the fairway yep. and finally be like, I don't even have a backswing. Yep. Like, I got to like, punch this under, like, I got to take a, like, a chop back into the fairway. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're 10 yards out the fairway, absolutely. But I said, if you just missed the fairway by a little bit, I don't think you should be penalized that severe. Yeah. You should just let the rough penalize you, yeah. not the idea that like I can't even take a swing. Yeah. And you can build defenses into holes that aren't like, so if you look at the sixth hole at Bluff, which seems like a pretty easy, mm-hmm. straightforward hole, you got that fairway bunker, which could be implied. I mean, if you, if you hit a good drive, you could hit, probably hit it past that, but it's in play. But they've kind of let the rough grow on the right-hand mm-hmm. side there. Which I like. I like which, and, and, which grabs your club. That's and a, then that's there, a, you're right. That's very thick rough. And there. then there's that big uh, bunker right in front of the green. So what's happened to me a few times is I'm like avoiding the, the bunker and I'll hit one into that rough, which when I was growing up, that rough, they, that wasn't built up yeah. in that area. It was open. And then you end up hitting in that front bunker because the club, you know, it grab the the rough grabs your club as you're trying to get through. So like that's a, to me that's a natural defense. You you've built up a natural defense on a relatively straightforward hole. They could do something like that on those holes. Is oh absolutely. Yeah. And I and I 
like I said, I love the idea of you having to play shots. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like the idea to just take a driver and just crush it and just, like, walk up and hit it. Um, I mean, I would argue a number, for me, number six, like, if depending on the shot shape, I typically just aim right at the bunker knowing that I'm going to hit over the bunker. Because mm-hmm. the bunker really, I think, I think it's only, like, 180 or 200 yards. Is that how short it is? Yeah. It's maybe 200 yards. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, I mean, if you're hitting it, most guys, like, again, my guy my age, all my buddies can hit over, hit that, over without, that without an issue. But, yeah. um, and I've seen guys miss hit it and get over it. Mm-hmm. They hit it high enough and just kind of falls yep. on the other yep. side of it. Um, but, yeah, I've hit plenty in that tall stuff. And you get up and, like, you hack the ball out. Um, the other, the one other issue I have, which has nothing to do with the course, that I don't understand why, there's two things I don't understand why Bluff does. And number one is... I'm going to go through the holes really quick and you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm not even going to tell you my issue with them, but I'm going to just t- tell the holes. Number 11, number 15, and maybe 18, not as much on 18. You see us. Okay, so 11. You got the fairway bunker in the middle. You got the brook that goes across it. Fifth. You're actually thinking too far into the hole. Oh, oh, like, the tree from the tee box. Well, that. Well, I didn't oh. think about that. Okay. Yes, that tree's a problem. But the 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 like the weeds in front. So on number eleven. Yep. On number fifteen. Yep. Not as much on eighteen, but eleven and fifteen. Yep. Yep. I've played on the tee box. Now, granted, the rules of golf state that you can tee up the ball two club lengths behind sure. the tee marker. Sure. I've gone on both of those. I pulled it back two tee markers, and I've hit drives. And I've clipped the trees on the way out. Now, so you have a low trajectory when you. I don't even think it's that low. No. They have front. They put front tee boxes. Yeah. So you come back as far as you can. Yeah. And I'm not hitting a driver on 11. I can't because you hit the creek. Yeah. So number 11, I was hitting a hybrid. I think I typically hit hybrid. And I go to hit it. Now my my ball flight's a pretty normal ball flight. Yeah. Like, but when you're trying to you're trying to get it up and, I mean these re, these things are as tall as. You or I, yep. they're standing there. 18 to, especially. 18, they're really tall, aren't they now? Yeah, if they, well, in 18, depending because it's a longer tee yeah, box, if yeah. they pull it in the middle or back, it's not as much in play. If it's yep. up front, yes. But number 15, I've seen them put it up on the front, and on number 11, I've seen them put it right up on the front. I'm yeah. like, these things are five yards away. Sure. Yeah, now I'm pulling the club back, yeah. so now I'm seven yards away. Now I have to get the ball up, and I have to hit the ball 230 yards down the fairway. Mm-hmm. Like, physics says I can't do yeah. that distance. So I'm like, just <laughs> cut those things down. Like, just sure. or keep the tee box farther back yep. so interesting that and the other one bone to pick and not because i want to just like shit all over golf <laughs> i do like playing these courses but yeah. the, the other thing is the rules of golf if you look it up state that a tee box the markers on the tee box are supposed to be about six to seven paces or yards apart mm-hmm. if you go to bluff pace those out i know how far they put them out they're not six or seven they're three i've seen them do it yeah and you can pace them out they get them one two three and they put them down i'm like yeah. you do know that when you're doing that if you're a right-handed golfer you have about about a yard to put your ball in, which means all the divots are there, which especially in part threes. Yeah. And also because of soft course, the the middle third is unusable because that's like where your club is or your shaft is, and the other third is where everybody stands. Now, because I play with Ryan a lot, he's lefty. Reverse it. Now Ryan's teeing off where everybody's standing, and now he's standing in all these divots, and it's like put this thing out sure. six or seven Give yards yep. and space it out yep. a little bit. I said I just don't understand why you're while you're jamming people in, yep. because even if you go two club lengths back, yep. you can stand outside the tee box, yep. but then you got to like make sure you don't hit the ball into the, hit your club sure, on it or whatever. Sure. So it's like, there's always just weird things. I'm like, why, 
why is it like like it's just those are simple things to yep. do. Yep. It doesn't. I mean, you don't have to take. I mean, the tree. Keep the tree up if you want, but like put the tea bottom because yeah. a little bit wider. No, you're right. It just seems like an odd. I agree. I agree. An odd it, thing. Could I hit the bathroom? Absolutely. Is that right? is that, I just wasn't. I'm gonna. Sure. I'm gonna complain more about some golf. No, you can. No, yeah. I got. Yeah, I do have two things I wanted to ask. No, you. absolutely. Go, go. We, we roll live, so we, okay. we don't. We don't pause. I just. I just ramble on and fill up the space. So <laughs> where is? Yeah, uh, you go out there. Just go out the door all the way. Keep walking straight and take a left. Yep. Uh, yeah. Out there. Perfect. So, bone. I, I again. I like. I don't want to sound like I don't. I love all these courses. I think I. I do like. You know, the people that own them and everything else. I just think there's some things that, you know, and there's a lot of good. Like I think the condition of a lot of these courses, especially up here in the North Country, we don't have a lot of season. Are fantastic shape. I think condition wise, the greens have been. The greens on almost all the courses I played this year are really, really good. Um, I just think there's some like small little things that I think over time things have happened where I think people have just been like comfortable with them where I think you still have to it's like anything else like you own a house you have to like maintain your house you have to keep your house you know upgrading certain things and make you know if something start like maybe some water's hitting on some external part of your house and you start to have some rot or something you got to fix those boards same thing in like I find in golf if you have weeds or trees that are overgrowing you got to take them down a little bit you know you got to I think it's just general maintenance of a golf course that doesn't affect the actual course because again like scott was saying some of these courses have been around for a long time and they were designed before today or they were designed and they weren't houses or the trees or things that weren't you know up a certain distance i think a certain height i think these are easy things that we can or maybe but people can change um you know that aren't that aren't super co- they don't cost a lot of money it doesn't cost much money to, to take down some uh some you know basically cattail weeds and everything else that are overgrown and or move the tee boxes, you know, double double the distance to the, the correct distance. It's just, it's like a weird, I don't know, just seems weird. It seems weird that like you have so much space that it would be easier to maintain the grounds and stuff so people aren't built, like beating up the same three yards. Um, and in regards to like, man, trees off the, trees off a fairway, I just think if you're in and around the fairway, you should not be penalized on the second shot in regulation. Again, if anybody's played a par five, you got 500 yards, you got to hit, you know, you're trying to go at it in two. I totally get it if you, like, you might have a little bit of a, you know, problem hitting around some trees if it's a dog like par five. Absolutely. But again, if you're like number eight, you're going at in two, yeah, you should have a risk reward. I don't think you should have a risk reward in your third shot with a wedge in your hand. <laughs> so what were, your, what were your questions, Scott? Well, um, these golf first of all, that a uh, little. <laughs> I, I'm in, I, I'm definitely my one of my goals coming in here was to talk about the first and second hole of Bluff Point. Okay, that's, that's good. so that's good. So we're on, we're on the same page. Right? Um, so do, have you ever done a solo podcast where you just talk and like? Real talk, I have. Yeah. Okay, that's. Oh, you mean like a longer form one? Yeah, where you just kind of no, like so, you mean like this? Yeah, like when I went out to use the bathroom, you just I just fill it. Yeah, it's a solo. It's about a minute and a half solo. Because you've done 160. This was 162. 162. Yeah. And is it? Uh, just a natural thing now that you've like how how would you the evolution of the podcast how, how have you evolved as a podcaster how do you see yourself evolving? um so this is actually a funny story so tooth so i started thinking about doing a podcast in 2017 or 18 2017 i didn't do it 2018 i didn't do it and my friend matt craig I just listened to his. You guys had a podcast. You were. T- uh... He was on with Ryan and Jared recently. Yes. Yeah. So so Matt started a podcast probably. I would say two months before I did. 
and I went on his podcast and I'm sitting there I'm like and I remember talking to him we were literally doing the podcast I think it was the second episode and I was like man this is like I've been wanting to do is that just do one it's easy and I'm like yeah you're right it's easy so I I left his office probably six at night I drove back to my office which at the time wasn't this one it was down below and I went on and I looked up uh, do you know Tim Ferriss no four hour work week four hour Oh, I've heard of the, I've heard, uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. And he's got a pretty, you know, pretty yeah, large podcast. Yeah. And, um, and this was, I think I, I was definitely listening to Rogan at the time, but not as Rogan wasn't as popular as, as he is now, but I was listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss too. So I went on and I Googled podcast equipment and then I was like, well, let's do Tim Ferriss podcast equipment because he does podcasting. What does he use? And he's like, if you're new or you want to travel or whatever, this is what to get. And I kid you not, this is what he recommended. Yep. And I believe he recommended this mic. And some of the stuff he recommended, I was like, okay, like I'm not going to overthink it. So I ended up getting it. He had links to all the, all the, I linked them all, ordered them that night. Really? So I ordered, I don't know if I got four. I think I ordered two. I think I ordered a set of two of everything. Um, at the time, I didn't have the splicer, which is that little like star thing. Yep. Um, I did have the mics. I bought the I bought the uh, the the shield thing here. I had um, I bought these arms. This is a nicer arm. The only reason I haven't gotten more of them is because I want to get a new table. I heard I you talking about the new table. You want to yeah. design one for the. I want to design one so it's special. I don't want to use this. This yeah. is actually my sister's old college like kitchen table. Yeah. So it works, serves a purpose, but I, I do want to get a proper one that yep. I can actually screw this into like wood yep. um, so it's not like slipping off the table but so I bought everything this was November of 2017 uh, 18 so November December of 2018 they started doing the podcast Matt Craig was my first guest then Meg Whedon then a couple other people former jump camper Meg Whedon oh really yeah I gotta ask her about that yeah. she's one of my best friends but I gotta, yeah. I'll, I'll give her some shit uh, which is funny because I know her now and I'm like you, uh, that's great that's, <laughs> that's a great nugget for me now to use against her so uh, but so Matt and Meg came on one, two. And at the time, if you go back and listen to the first episode, I have no clue what the show's called. And actually, I think I discussed it with both of them, what to call it. And I ended up getting six, I think six episodes down before I released it. And I remember when Matt came on, I was trying to figure out how to use this the day Matt came on. Because I'm, I'm one of like, I don't like to procrastinate. So it's yeah. more of like, okay, I'm going to go order the stuff. And then the stuff came and in a week, I was talking to Matt on my podcast. And I remember getting it and I'm like, I think that day I was pulling out stuff out of boxes and I'm like, Matt, come do the podcast on that day. And it wasn't that morning until I pulled everything out. So I'm sitting there reading the manual, watching YouTube videos, how to run this thing. And I remember playing it and I kept looking at it like, is it recording, like talking, or is it recording? And then I had, I think I had headphone, I had headphone on, Matt didn't. And I was listening and I was like making sure it sounded good. And I'm like, is it too loud? And I was getting used to these things. Yep. And it, it was just, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to just, it was just kind of getting used to everything. And um, the, and it took me probably 10 minutes to get over the fact that I was talking because it was the first time because Matt's podcast he had headphones so I didn't hear myself so hearing myself and then being like people are going to hear this it's being recorded and that took about 10 minutes to get over and then I yep. kind of just settled down and we just jammed and it wasn't I'm trying to think before I really like hit my stride of like it got easy to ask people and I would say I would say by the time I was getting into like 20s to 30s, I was like, you know what? It's not that hard. Meaning the first few were like buddies or like yeah, friends. You made it comfortable. Like, people I knew that weren't going to say no and yeah. people I knew I could talk to. And then it started to get to the point where I, I was meeting people and it was like, hey, you, like Anna. I was like, 
I think my first one with her and Steph was like episode 22, maybe something in that range. It was like Steph early 20s. Is a former jump camper. Okay. And I could, now I believe Steph yeah. was jump camper. <laughs> Meg did figure skating, I guess. So maybe she was, but, um, so, but the, uh, so I met Anna and Steph through North country connections. And that was kind of when I started to venture out and get people that I was meeting kind of out and about and newer people I was meeting. And that was really the first time I ever talked to those two girls at length. And like instantly it was like, these girls are great. Yeah. And, um, and Anna obviously was Anna. Like she just like, I was like, this girl can just talk. There's only one. There's only, she's well, only there's one. her. And then there's Alexis. So there's two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. The one of two, the, the Hewitt girls are, uh, they're a rare breed, but they're awesome. So they like, so that was probably where I started to hit my stride. And then when I think it got to the point where it was becoming a little more established was I think when I got to like 50 and 60, because I was doing about one a week. So then I started like right now I'm going, it's going to be three years in December. Yeah. So now I try to do one a week. So right now I'm at 162. So I'm, even if I stop right now, I'll hit one. I'll be past one a week. And uh, I think I've gotten to the point where my prep. What's different is my typically my Nicolette's my assistant. She researches. I say I lose. I use that term really loosely. <laughs> she'll go on like Instagram, Facebook. She'll might go like Google you. Um, she didn't do it for. She's been out the last couple of days, but. I don't have anything on you. So like, yeah. and most people I don't, it depends who, like if I have Anna, come on, I don't have anything. Yeah, if I have sure. someone, I have Tom Messner, come on. Yes. I have a little oh, bit yeah, of Oh yeah, you what, prepped. I could tell. I could tell. That yeah. was a really, it was a very well done podcast. So, so, yeah. So, so well, thank you. Some of the, mm. some people I have, depending how well I know the person, sometimes I like, I bring them on. Sometimes I'm just like, you know what? We're just going to like shoot the shit. Yeah. Like today I was like, I don't need, to, I, yeah. I don't need to jump camp. But you're like, we'll figure it out. Yep. We'll just roll. Sure. And uh, so I find that the prep work now is a little uh, like someone looks up people for me. I never had that before. I never really looked up anybody before. Mm-hmm. And I guess the actual day of podcast, like Nick schedules most of them for me. Cause I, I, I just sent her one. I'm like, these are, these are 20 people that I would like to have on the podcast. And I yep. just, cause I, I have like a big list of people I want yeah. to get on. And- do you keep like a running, like, how do you do that? Like, cause I'm sure people pop into your head or people, uh, suggest people to mm-hmm. you. Like you just so, have a running list going. Yeah. So my phone, I have a, uh, I have a note, uh, notes in my phone or under the note tab called po- podcast, podcast guest list or possibly podcast wish list or something like that. Something like these are all the people that I have on the list. Some people I haven't had, like I haven't asked some yet. Haven't some people I'm like nervous to ask, I say nervous mm-hmm. to ask, but some people I'm like, that's eh, going to be kind of awkward to ask them. But I don't really know them. Um, some people are people that I want to have on that haven't responded back or said no before or maybe like on the fence and i just keep them on until they either come on or just yeah. tell me to bite it or, or, or beat it so um but i do have a running list and then though out of those people i, I tell a lot of people I'm like you're on my list like i'll get you on but i just i kind of just go down through and i, I sometimes i take the i kind of go through the main chunk but then i kind of filter my way through and i try to grab different people yeah so there's a little bit of variety as to who I have on. I mean, these are all people I want on. It's just yep. a matter of when we get them on. And a lot of it comes down to scheduling. But sure. I don't know when someone's going to be 160. You know, like you're 162. You you could have been 167. It mm-hmm. You know, I just know like, hey, Scott's mm-hmm. coming on at some yep. point. So the numbers, the only time I ever plan a number out was with the 100th episode. I made sure that was like, I had Meg, Ryan, and Jared. So like three really good friends. Yep. I made sure that was 100th episode. Sure. I wanted to have like that yep. kind of theme. So... I do have a list. Typically, if somebody suggests somebody to me, I will. If I think they might be someone I'd be interested in, I put them on the list. And usually, I either do more research on them, or 
I, I have to have a reason to want to have them on. Mm-hmm. And it's not like sometimes I get people and I'm like, they might be good, but I just don't really know them. And they might be, it might be a great one, but sometimes I'm like, I just don't really know much about them. I yeah. have really nothing to talk about. And I've only had one podcast ever where someone asked to come on who I didn't really want to come on. Not because they're a bad person. I just had really nothing in common with them. Mm-hmm. And it was early on and I let them come on. And it was probably the shortest podcast I ever did, and it was the least I ever talked because I just didn't have any connection to sure. him. And I didn't really it was like, eh, I'm like, okay, like this can wrap up any time. Yeah. And after that one, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm picking who I want. And if somebody asked to come on, and I think I and I would like them to come on, and I say absolutely, I'll add you to my list, which I do. If somebody, if somebody wants to come on. I say the same thing. I'll add you to my list, but I never do because it's just one where it's like, like, okay, yeah, well, I'll put you on my list, and you know, if you, you know, if I get to that point, I'll have you come on. Um, and there's other people like I met you, and then I, you know, talked to Anna, talked to you a little bit. I'm like, this is a good dude. Like, I, and yeah. I heard from Ryan, and I like kind of connected us. I'm like, this would be a fun person to have on yeah. and kind of pick their brain about things. And um, so it's it's a whole mixture, but I think the evolution now is that. I'm meeting a lot of people. Absolutely. I have a very wide variety of people. Um, I know it kind of sounds funny, but I never thought I'd be interviewing Tom Messner or having a podcast with Tom Messner. Um, Gary Douglas was one of the people that I was most nervous ever to have on the podcast, yep. and Gary knocked it out of the park. And I have so much respect for him and what he's done, and like to have him here and just like be an open book is like, this is really cool. And like when you get, um, you know, whether it be like politicians or people that have been in business for many years or people that are, I would deem are pretty high achievers locally and they have them on. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Cause, and some people are like, yeah, I know what you do. Like, I know, like Gary Douglas, like, yeah, you're the podcast guy. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how do you know that? Do you get a lot of people who talk to you about the podcast? Like, say, like, uh, like, so I approached you at Brady and Anna's wedding and yeah, I wanted fun. to, I said, hey, just want to let you know I'm, I've become a fan. I enjoy the podcast because, uh, of the local spin and you know now there's a connection you know through Anna it's, well she's the one that introduced me to the podcast but like uh do you check numbers like do you have do you get like how do so, you you know what's funny is I was about to act back about to mention that how it's changed was the first few episodes I probably had an average of single digit listeners so like seven eight something like that and honestly, probably three of them were from like the person in their mom and dad yeah, or something. Yeah. So it was like, nobody was listening to it. And when I talk about, we talked about like the exercise, like I have long, like I'm very patient. I wasn't going to put it out and be like, okay, I got to have like a thousand downloads at the yeah. start. So I was like, nobody's going to listen to this for the first probably year. And I was totally fine with it. So right now my average, it was probably around there. My average download right now, if I put this out, it's going to get anywhere from like, 40 something downloads to a hundred and something. Okay. And a lot of that depends on how well you're known also depends on how well you're distributing it. Mm-hmm. Meaning I can distribute it, but if you put out on social media or Anna or Brady or their friends or your kids or whatever, put yeah. it out, the chances that you get up to those triple digit numbers go up higher. Um, I didn't have anybody hit a hundred for two years and this year alone, five to, I would say probably at least five. If I go past 75, I'm probably well into a dozen to 20 that I, I would, I would deem, let's say 12 to 15, I've hit 75 or more. And I would say maybe five to eight of those have eclipsed a hundred. And mm-hmm. I've had a couple that have gotten up to like 130, 140. Yep. Um, a lot of it is the distribution, but the funny thing is I would say average, I'm somewhere in the fifties right now, yep. meaning straight up 
I'm going to put this out. You're going to be somewhere in that 40 to 50 mark if you don't really do anything. Yep. And then if I, if you do any distributing on your own front, there's a chance it could get up to 80, 90, 100, okay. you know, something like that. So what's funny is not there's people like podcasts, but not everybody what listens to podcasts. So it's kind of like it's starting to become a little more mainstream. But then to pick somebody that does a podcast locally, that's just some local dude that people know that listen to like, and they're like, and I think part of it is, and I'm not, like, I don't, I don't think people listen to the podcast because of me rambling on. I think that people listen to the podcast because they know somebody that comes on the podcast. I think they like the variety of it. I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan's long form because I think it allows us to develop stories and, yeah. and really dissect. And I use, I've used the analogy in the past of like, everybody's driven down to Albany or driven through the Adirondacks. Like the two to two and a half hour drive from here down to Albany. Typically, if you might be with your spouse or with a friend, you typically start driving and it's like, okay, we're driving. It's a long drive. And then about, I'd say 30 minutes in, you settle in and then you start having conversations. Then an hour in, you start going deeper. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, yeah. we're like really in this conversation because you're in a car and you're just passing the time. I find that's a podcast is when you start to get you know, kind of in that half hour mark, you start to settle down. And once you get to that hour mark, I find you hit another deeper level. And then you allow people to open up and develop stories. And I think people, given the chance, given the platform, given the environment, are more apt to open up and, and, and articulate and develop a thought versus if this is a 20-minute podcast, we would know nothing about you. No, hey, Scott. Hey, Galen. How you doing? Yep. Great day. Weather. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, we're wrapping up. That was Scott Gutierrez. Yeah. And it's like, Okay, we didn't we mess meat or we didn't get the meat and potatoes. It was like, hey, here's your soup and here's your dessert and yep. see ya. You know, and I think my goal was to have a long term, long form conversation to know someone a little bit better, to develop, you know, a better conversation, um, and let people tell stories and let people develop themselves. Because I think you know when you hear like a whether it be athletes or politicians and people are like, I hate that guy. Well, like you heard a two minute segment or a thirty second yeah. clip. But then you have them going rogue and like that person's actually kind of cool yep. because you let them talk and be a human. Absolutely. So I think the evolution and num I guess number wise, I, I've never, I've never had a guest come on the podcast because I thought they were going to be a high number generated person that doesn't actually ever come in because I like, I think Tom Messner might've gotten somewhere in the seventies. Mm -hmm. Sierra Gagno got 140. Like Sierra Gagno, I not nothing against her, but she could. I mean, I, her outreach of having to promote it was better. She pushed it out. She pushed and, it out a yep. little bit more. She had more friends, probably in that demographic that yep. would listen to podcasts. Yep. Um, a lot of people listen to Tom just purely on the name. I had um, like Gary Douglas, one of my all-time favorite podcasts, probably got fifty, and I was like, "How's this guy?" I don't know if I listen. I might have to go back and listen to that. Yeah, one. I'm like, I how know. did Gary not get two fifty? Yeah. Like in my head, but again, it's the distribution, it's the age yeah. brackets. Maybe, maybe I have more admiration for Gary than some of you that listen to it, or, um, you know, like the the one the other day with Matt Ryan and Jared. I think like barely hit fifty. See, I like that. See, that was fun. To, like I liked having buddies, uh, just kind of have some fun and talk yeah. to each other. And Ryan was in and he had to leave early and you guys were busting on each other. Oh, it was absolutely. fun. It was fun. Um, see, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a music person, which is why I'm huge into pot. And I've heard you, you've had some bands on and you've had, yeah. some, you know, and, and I'll listen to those podcasts, but I'm not a person that when, when, when I'm doing housework, I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah, same. And so, um, I used to be a huge stern, like back in the day, I was huge stern. And then, you know, even when he went to Sirius, I, I, um, listened for a little while, 
but then ESPN radio, I got into Levitar and it, like, there's been an evolution. Then I got into Rogan and, uh, pardon my take and those guys. And you kind of, when, when I, when I, uh, when Anna told me about the podcast, I looked you up, right? I remember just looking at my living room, I'm like, Oh wait, John was on this podcast. And yeah. then, so then, and you yeah, hooked John's me, I, I listened to John and, um, and you've had some great, I mean, I wanted to ask you who you're like, if you were to give a top, not that you have to give a top five, but I know you just mentioned Gary Douglas and Tom Master, but I enjoyed John uh, and the Andy Wiley was a good one Andy when he, when he talked about going through the prison break. Yep. I love the episodes around election time. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like you said with Rogan, you know, you, you political ads give people an idea of in their in their political party usually is how they're going to vote but i learned a lot about both those guys i was impressed by both of them with those yeah. with the interview well, well the funny so i don't know if i'd have like my top five like who i enjoyed the most there's certain ones that i'm like god i'm really glad i got that person on because i didn't think they would come on like gary definitely tom messner definitely and like some people might be like well gary or tom like who cares i'm like yeah but it's selfishly it's who I want to come on. Like, yeah, I, don't, sure. I don't really care. Like what I, I don't really care what people think. Cause I don't listen to the, half the time. I don't know who downloads these podcasts yeah. unless they tell me they download it. Cause there's not like I can see who's tracking. So, um, I guess that's part of the thing that keeps it pure is that I'm the only one that really knows unless people tell me like, if you, I'll see your downloads and say there's 50 downloads, I don't know who those 50 people are. Yeah. Unless someone says, Hey Gail, and your episode with Scott was great. I'm like, yeah. Oh cool. I'm glad you liked it. Cause most of the time I'm blind to it. And I know there's, there's like, I would say closet listeners that listen to it that don't know me or I don't know them or maybe they do and they've never mentioned it. And I, that's great. And I don't, I don't do it for people to say like, Hey, this awesome. I like that you do podcasts. I get enjoyment out of it. I like podcasts. I like talking to people. And I think if people can be a fly on the wall and want to listen in, I think it's cool. I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know. I, my favorite people that come on the podcast are, are conversationalists. Yep. I would deem you're a conversationalist. You're very good at it. Scott Brightwell I've had on a few times. Fantastic. Uh, Michael Cashman's fantastic. Uh, the the town supervisor. Yep. Um, you know, Anna's fantastic at it. That's why I have her on so much because she's fun to talk to. Yep. And I think Jared Burns is really good. Like these people that can come on and they know how to fill dead space. And sure. They know how to fill like, because you get some people that I've talked to and they'll talk and they'll kind of like pause. And then I got to pick up the conversation. And I think I've had plenty of people say, well, God, you're so good at that. It must come natural. I'm like, I, I don't even think about it because it's just like you're in the moment. Sure. And I know I have more experience than everybody that comes on the podcast. So to me, it's like, it's my job to kind of feel, I, I like kind of run it, but not like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, but I don't have any, I literally, when I walked in, I was like, you saw what I wrote down. I was like, yeah. okay, episode, episode 162, Scott Couture, just to make sure I can kind of keep an act. So it just like, takes like, a direction. Like it, it, it yeah. forms a direction and you follow that direction. Yeah. Like I had no clue I was going to talk. I mean, I knew I was going to probably talk to you about golf and about jump camp and, uh, you know, but there's so many more things that you come up. Like, I didn't know you want to talk about one and two at Bluff. Let's go. Let's have a conversation, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I think, um, I think that's part of the fun of it is I don't, it's not scripted. I don't know when it's, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to end it. I don't know when we're going to end it. I don't know when, you know, it's like, I just know like, Oh, he's coming in at this time. And some of the benefits though, cause you're looking at, I say looking out, but you came in at the right time is that typically the four o'clock to six o'clock, I try not to do too many late cause of my kids, but yes. I do find at the end of the day, like right now we're past like my, our allotted time, I would say for 90% of the podcast. Cause most people it's like, if it's a one and three, it's like, okay, we all both have appointments. We kind of yep. got to wrap this up. Yep. And then I find if this is my last thing of the day and I can kind of chill and the person's cool, like we can just roll. And yep. I don't feel 
as rushed to be like, okay, what's the clock say? What's the time say? Let's just stop it and end abruptly. Um, every once in a while you have to do that. But yeah. I think a lot of times you let, I think some of the better ones that I've found are the ones that start around four o'clock, you know, and they kind of get that like happy hour evening kind of like vibe and then it kind of starts to get dark out and you kind of talk and then you kind of filter out and then it kind of comes to like a, almost like a plane ride that comes down smoothly. Yep. So I don't really know if I have I, good conversationalists are the ones I really try to get back. But Andy White, like someone like Andy, he opened up a ton. Like there's some people that just like, they really go into yeah, it. And, he, oh, was, that was really cool. he was, he talked about that. And I know, you know, he's a district attorney, but uh, my stepsons have played soccer with his mm-hmm. kids and I've seen him coach and done some uh, volunteer stuff at school events. And so it was neat when I, I, I really just think to, to compliment you that you, th- it's neat for this area because I also like too. it's connected me, not that I know a lot, but you, you have that young group that promotes Plattsburgh as this is a place to be. And as I'm yeah. getting older, you know, it's nice to know that there's a generation coming in that promotes Plattsburgh and looking to establish careers here and homes here and lives here. I think that's pretty neat. Well, I think, I think the benefit, and I, again, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not. Like your generation or the generation before, um, you know, you look at it, I'm sure there was, pl- I mean, I know there was, there's plenty of people, you know, my grandparents' age and my parents' age that were very pro Plattsburgh and still are pro Plattsburgh. The benefit is my generation, we have these things. We have mics. We yeah. have we have social media. We, And I, I look at, we have ways to, instead of saying it to one person in a restaurant, I can now put it on a podcast and a hundred people could hear me sure. blab about how great I think the area is. Yep. And for me, that's a great reach that we have. And that's part of it. Like, I mean, naturally, I just bring people I like to talk to. So if people are kind of pro Plattsburgh, I typically align myself with them and I want to have them on. So it's like when I, like, like you talk about Meg, like Meg coming on loves this area, you know, like Anna loves it. Like these yep. people that are like, hey, Jared Burns, Ryan Lee, like I'm not moving. I'm staying here. And like, hey, if we're going to stay here, we might as well make it as best as we sure. can. And I like that aspect. Um, and I think, like you said, we now have a platform and it's starting to get a little bit of traction. And with that traction, it allows me to, I don't want to be the one, like I'm not a, like a political guy, I'd be like, vote this way. I'm not going to do that. But I'm like, yeah, I like Plattsburgh. Like, you guys should yep. like Plattsburgh. Like, it's a yeah. cool area. Like, it's our home. Like, you should Absolutely. take some pride in Plattsburgh and not, Absolutely. like, you know. But um, I have to tell you, well, I just, uh, I love the podcast. Um, a couple other of my favorites before, because I know no, we're okay. wrapping hey. up. But no, you're, you're good. Uh, I love the Steve Moffat one because yep. it's, you know, I think that was good to have the, high, the hockey coach at Plattsburgh State. Plus, I don't know if, if he was the golf coach at Seton. Was for he? a while and he's a heck of a golfer uh, I knew that. and uh, that was fun to listen to and uh phil i really enjoyed the phil hewitt oh, phil, uh, because I, I hadn't met him before like that was my first I, I think i might have met him and shook hands and said hi but i yeah. think that was my my first time that i got to 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 know him before i got to know him so uh that was neat uh, that was good too well, the thing with phil that was the first time i f- i think i actually met him in person yeah, I think it was too. Podcast. But he took pictures. He does pictures of the Kavanaugh shirts or well, something. I you guys talked about. I pictures from Anna. I was like, <laughs> yeah. who is, like, this guy's awesome. And I didn't realize he uh, used to play softball back in the day with my dad. My dad's yeah. like, Huey? And I'm like, wait, you know him? It's a small world because like I said, I'm, you know, I, I've now gotten to know the family a little bit better and, and you know, I get, and it's kind of fun. Like there is a connection. Like even when I, my wife, uh, when I started dating her, like, handful of years ago was i remember like telling my parents my dad's like oh yeah i used to work for her dad i'm like wait what and then he's like yeah but and he started making connections like i've never met this girl i've never like i i knew of her because yep. i knew her name from soccer and stuff but like i've never met her before and um i thought my parents would be like oh who's this girl and my dad's like oh yeah i know and he started telling me the whole backstory on her i was like 
or not her, but her family. And just like a small world when you actually like connect the dots and, and uh, yeah, uh, Phil's great. Oh, I just want to call him filthy. I always call him filthy. <laughs> I think they call him filthy with an F. I always, anytime they I text Anna, I'm yeah. always like filthy with a <laughs> like Phil and then yeah. filthy. But uh, no, th- those, yeah, those are fun. Cause I've like, there's some people that come in. I've never like you, I've talked a couple times here yep. and there, but you know, when you bring people on and like have a conversation and people are good conversationalists, you can talk to anybody. It's yep. kind of like sitting in a coffee shop or airport and talking to the person next to you or on a plane or something and you just, you know, talk and it doesn't yep. feel unnatural. Well, I thank you because this is free entertainment for me. I, I you know, <laughs> I, you're on my automatic. I'm, I'm a subscriber, a subscriber and it comes down and it shows up and, uh, uh, I, I'd like, I appreciate you having me yeah, on absolutely. and I, I thank you for what you do and I, I hope, uh, I hope others appreciate it. I, I promote it. I let people know about it. And, uh, I think it's a, it's a really neat, I'm glad this is my first podcast. So I, I, uh, you did well, you, you yeah. got a, you got a good radio voice too. Well, uh, well, I'm an English teacher, so I, I do, I do talk a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you just do a great job. It's been a lot of fun. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Do, do you read a lot too? Uh, I do. I, I mean, I read a lot, um, I'm a, like a Grisham and, you know, I, I like murder mysteries and that type of stuff, but, uh, I love young adult literature because that's what I teach. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader. Oh, nice. I, yeah. I got it. I have a ton of books there. My, one of my, uh, it's difficult now I'm trying to make time for it, but I think as my kids get older, I'll find more time to read cause I do like reading. So, um, but I, I didn't appreciate it as much in school because when they're like, like, Hey, you got to read this book. Yep. And now when you kind of read like subjects you want to read about, yep. it's way more fun. That's true with, with nonfiction as an adult, but I like to choose books for kids that they come back and tell me about, like, do you still read this book with your students? Do you still read that? Yeah. Um, because like what books do you read? So like, um, if I'm not sure, but not buddy. I'm not sure if you remember that. I never read like that. Christopher Paul Curtis. Yeah. Um, even like the, the Harry, and you're a big Harry Potter fan cause Love you've Harry talked Potter. about it. And yeah. I, so one of the, uh, I was given the first book as a gift from a student back, you know, in early in my career. And I love, I mean, I was, I've read them multiple times. The audio books for, um, the Harry Potter books are amazing. I don't know if you ever do audio books. I, I do. I haven't, I didn't listen to Harry Potter books on audio. They're unbelievable. Uh, the narrator is named a man named Jim Dale. He's unbelievable. Like you, if you've, if you're a Harry Potter fan and you've read the books, even as an adult, I recommend that you listen to the audio books. It, um, it's a different experience. It's I awesome. almost, I almost should, because I've read those all. Like I was, the first book came out in 97 and I started reading, I think in 98 or 99. Yep. Um, I think it was 99. And then the books started coming out as I was like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. And I remember they, I think they came all the way out until almost senior year of my, and I pretty much read them as they were coming out. So it was like, I kind of grew up in that generation that had to wait for the next book yep. to come out. And, uh, same thing with all the movies. The movie started coming out as the books were coming out. Yep. So you're kind of in this Harry Potter yep. world for about 10 years. Um, I contend that she changed some of her character development because of the, the characters in the movies and which I'm, I'm not necessarily complaining about it, but, um, I, I was, I was, that was the day that was when you could order on Amazon and it would show up the day it was released and it would show up at your door Oh, gotcha. and I would read, you would sit and just read it in, in a day. And those were huge and they were great for literature. And what's funny is they've worked their way out. You know, it almost like you'd have to reintroduce it. The kids have seen the movies, but they haven't read the books. A lot of the, you the read kids the books, you yeah. do. Absolutely. There's so, there's so much like you say, character development yep. and little things. 
I said it before. I think I was talking, actually, Katrina Rigsby, was she a student? You know what? Katrina was, and I listened to about 40 minutes of that podcast, and then something happened, and I wanted, I, it's still on my list. I, I've still got to yeah. go back and finish that podcast. She's a former student. She brought both of those flowers there. So, oh, she, nice. so thank you, Katrina, for brightening up my, my <laughs> office space, but she's a very avid reader. Yes. Um, and I think she's up to like 100, I think last year she said 150 books she read in a year. Wow. So she goes through a bunch, and she said she reads multiple books at a time, where yep. she'll be like... Or she'll listen to books in the car and then she'll read a book and then she'll have another book. And she goes, I always have books depending on how I'm feeling. So if it's yep. kind of like a, you know, maybe a sadder book, she might read it on a rainy day and mm -hmm. whatever. But um, yeah, Harry Potter, the, the idea that like in the sixth and seventh book, she's still making references of small details in the first and second to the point where like that must have already been in her head to make yep. that connection. Oh, like, absolutely. You know, years later. Yeah. Um, do you read Lord of the Flies? I didn't read the Lord series. No. Is there um, more than one book? Uh, the like the oh Lord of the Flies. I'm sorry. I thought I was. I heard Lord of the Rings. In oh my no, head. no no no. Lord, I, Lord of the Flies. Uh, no, I didn't. I haven't read. I feel like I know the story of Lord of the Flies. Yeah, like, that was a uh, great book. Uh, I didn't. I have not. That's I, as an English teacher. I probably Did should have read. Did you ever watch read. Survivor? The, uh, the series, the reality show. Bits and pieces. That I'm was not based off of Lord of the okay. Flies. Okay. Um, I feel was, embarrassed as an English teacher saying no, I haven't read Lord of the Flies. My favorite book of all time. I read it in school with the English teacher. And the reason I think I love, well, it's a great book. Uh, the great Gatsby. It's my all time favorite book. And I think it was because, and I give him credit, our librarian, he's still a librarian there, but he, again, at the time also was, that was his favorite book. So when he, we were reading it, he really got into it and he was like, almost like urging kids to like it. And obviously the story is, I think a fantastic book. Um, but that is my favorite book that I, that's my all time favorite book. It's great Gatsby. Um, and I've read, you know, there's a handful of other books I like, and I, yep. I read, I, I should read more fiction. I like, I like nonfiction because I always feel like I should be learning something. But yeah. sometimes it's just nice just to like zone out and yeah. just read a story and get kind yep. of escape in the book. But um, I have to actually, I, I loaned Christina or not Christina, uh, Katrina, multiple names in my head. Um, I, I loaned, um, I, I think she took it. Yeah, Katrina uh, Tremacoli, which is Tremacolio, Tremacoli. It's the original version of The Great Gatsby. And two of the chapters in there um, are different. I mean, they never made it to the final book, and there's notes in it. So Katrina wanted it, and I was like, hey, hope you – like, I haven't read it yet, but she's, I'm sure, already flipped through it. Uh, but that's kind of cool, too. So, like, I've kind of nerded out of that. Yeah. Uh, Nelson DeMille wrote a, a Gatsby-esque type novel. I haven't read The Great Gatsby. I, um, Wait, you've never read The Great Gatsby? I never have. Really? So, I, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a sixth-grade teacher, so, like uh, – like I'm more of the young adult literature and uh, I, some of the classics, you know, I've read some of the classics, but not as much as more a, of a modern day fictional works for younger kids. But um, no, uh, the, the, he wrote a Gatsby-esque novel. So I kind of have a feel for the story. Um, the, the well, you know, the life of the wealthy, right? And the... Oh, yeah, yeah the theme of it. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, how old are your kids? Three and a half, a little over two in eight months. Okay, so you got, really you got some time. Yeah, yeah, you got some time. Uh, a great book if you ever if you ever want to read a young adult book, uh, Touching Spirit Bear. Uh, it's a book about a, a, a juvenile delinquent that gets banned to an island in Alaska. It's uh, it's on my mind right now because my students are going to start reading it soon. But um, all my kids have loved that growing up. But you're you're probably gonna, you know, you're only a few years away probably from yeah. doing some chapter books and um, Catcher in the Rye. You read that? No, nope, no. Nope. That's also about a delinquent. I believe a delinquent. Um, God, I, I, I'm going to kick myself for not remembering his name. Um, 
But that takes it's a weird book because you think Catcher in the Rye, it seems like the rye, like grass and all this yeah. stuff. And I forgot the whole theme, but it takes place in New York City. It's like a really weird um, Holden, Holden Cop. Holden Caulfield, Holden Caulfield, something like that. That's the main character. I've always he's kind of like a delinquent kid. Yeah, I've always uh, it's on my list. I don't know if you have lists of things you eventually want to do. Like some of the some of the classics in literature, like a reading list or a bucket list. Just both. I mean, I mean both. Yeah, you know. Um, I heard you talking about golf tournaments you wanted to go. You've been to a lot of majors. Yeah. How is that? The, the just family. Wait, have you ever seen a just, professional golf tournament? Uh, I went to the when uh, yes I went to the President's Cup when it was in Montreal. Okay. Oh, so that would uh, be too. That's great. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So you've seen the players. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So I went to that one in Montreal, 2007, yep. and I also went in 17 when they played at Liberty National. The I was lucky when I grew up. My dad took me to a bunch of these. So my first ever one was 2002 Beth Page Black Tiger Woods one, like Phil Mickelson. Yep. Like that was great. And that was that was the first time. If I do the math, that was 2002 Tagger. So whatever he was age-wise then, he was I mean, probably mid-20s. Yeah. And I, I remember this vividly. As you go from a green to a tee box, they take ropes and they box, they basically rope off yes. the path from one to the other to yeah. block the crowd. Now, you got to think a major, they let 40,000 people onto a golf course. And you got to think there's 18 holes. There's one Tagger. So everybody typically, say everybody, 80% of the crowd flocks to these holes. Yep. So ideally when you're following those guys, you watch a tee shot and then you kind of watch them at their second shot and then you kind of work your way up to maybe the next hole or the next green. You kind of strategically jump a couple shots up so you, you know, so you kind of find this flow. So I remember coming off the green, he was coming off the green, they roped everybody off. So I was standing right on the rope and I was like, oh my God, this is great. He's going to walk right through and this would be so cool. So... The players all go through. So Tiger comes walking across, and it wasn't the final round. It was whatever, whatever round it was. Comes walking out, and he was walking from tee to green, and it looked it was the most possessed look I've ever seen a human being in my life. And he was walking straight, and he kind of had his eyes, like, not straight out like this, but, like, slightly down because he was walking kind of, like, to see where he was walking. And I just remember he was just walking, and it, I guarantee you in his mind there was nobody there. Yep. Like, he was just so, like, get to the next tee, hit the golf ball. And I remember watching, I'm like, oh, my. It was almost scary. It was like, it was, you could almost feel like maybe like Michael Jordan, maybe in a basketball game or yep. something. But it just the way he looked walking, he was no more, he was me to you away tops, like, because yep. he's walking between two ropes. And then he walked by, and about 50 entourage walked by of every camera person in America, <laughs> plus all these other people, security, all this stuff, like, most guys, you walk in a couple caddies, a scorekeeper, or the, or the scoreboard person, and maybe a rules official or something. And it was like three players, three caddies, rules official, and a hundred other people. And it was insane. Yeah. And everybody went from one to the other and just kept following them down. And um, I, The President's Cup, out of all the events I've ever been to, those are fun because it's like you saw yesterday. Like They're getting into it. Once they're done playing, they're yep. fans and everything. The major's just different. It's a different feel. And they're they're playing the nicest courses. They're yep. playing the biggest championship, the most on the line. Those guys are taking this as serious as possible. Um, I think because I can relate to golf, same as you, like I can't relate to, you know, I play basketball. I'm not playing against the same guys on the NBA court. I yes. can't relate to like Stephen Curry yep. or LeBron James. But I can... I can stand behind the tee box, look out at the tee from where they're hitting and see everything and realize how fast those greens are and how slow they are and be like, I would shoot 200 on this course and see how good those guys are and appreciate it. What do you so, think you'd shoot on like a legit score? Do you think you would shoot a 200? 
No, if I had to take, if you had to take a major, let, let's take, yeah, let's take a major. So let's take, uh, um, where was the, uh, where was the U.S. Open this year? Uh, the women's was, it was in um, Torrey Pines. Was yeah, that okay. John Rahm one? Didn't yeah, you? you're right. Torrey Pines. I'll so take Torrey Pines, which is a public golf course. If you went to Torrey Pines from the tips in the same condition, the difference would be, I think my score would be somewhere around 120, if I had to guess. I think I, I would try like hell to break 100. I don't think I would. And I think what would happen is I would play super conservative because you know you're basically trying to play for bogey every hole. Uh, but the problem would you play from their distances, like I would, 480 if, yard par four. Absolutely. If, they, if they're saying you can play the U.S. Open course yeah. in U.S. Open conditions, I'm absolutely playing the tips. But I would play it way more strategic, not how I'd play a normal course, where I'd be like, okay, I can play this 480 yard par four as a par five. Yeah. So I'm going to hit a maybe a hybrid out 200 yards or a long iron and then hit that again and then hit a wedge in and try to get make sure. a two putt. I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to tell my golfers. Uh, a lot of matches came down to the ninth hole at Adirondack. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell my kids, played as par five. Because yeah. kids would come in with eights, nines on that hole regularly. Yeah. And I used to tell my kids, That's an awkward hole. lay up short, then hit to, you know, about 75, 80 yards and play it like it's par five. I don't know if they listen to me, but they, but you're right. It's a great analogy. But, it, but it's the same thing you're just talking about. You, you might play a par five as a par, as a par six or a par four as a par six. Well, even you know? if you're a bogey golfer, it's like you can hit a long iron out there and you can attempt to get to the green. And I would even say at number nine, play something, you know, you're going to hit short and aim a little right. Cause there's nothing, all the trouble short left or kind of that bunker on the right yeah. or blast it over if you wanted. But like if you hit in that collection area up front in the fairway, you just have a pitch shot up to a green that slopes back to front, which is easy, like yep. an easy chip. Then you can play it up. And then if you get up and down, you get a par. If you miss, you get a bogey and you're yep. bogey golf for anyway. So who cares? Yep, you know, exactly. so it's like smart. See, good coaching. Yeah. But, um, well, Scott, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Um, I enjoyed having you on. This was fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. This, I appreciate it. Yeah, I figured we weren't going to... I didn't have to look you up. I was like, this would be great. We'll just, <laughs> you wouldn't just, find me on social media, though. I don't You're do not it. there? No. Oh, if I, if I asked Anna, I'm sure she could dig something up yeah, on you. Yeah, she but could. She, she she's could. pretty good at that stuff. But uh, other than that, like I said, I figured we would just... Uh, we just flow. It was yeah, good. That was awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks well, a lot. Yeah, and Scott, I appreciate you listening to everything. And like I said, tell them, if you tell people to listen to it, I appreciate that too. But I'm hey, a big hopefully, fan. Yeah, hopefully you keep listening. I, I, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like I said, we just kind of keep rolling. I had some guests come back. We had some new guests. You know, I meet new people, bring them on, bring old people back. Sure. It's, all, it's all fun. So, Great. Um, Scott, uh, if anybody wants jump camp, it runs when you, I mean, you just finished start just after the 4th of July and it runs for six weeks, twice a week, get kids ready for their fall sports program, uh, focus on uh, growth mindset, looking to make yourself the best you can be, uh, going into your 22 and, uh, website or how'd they find it? Uh, I don't, they find me because they find it's, you. they find me because, uh, I, I basically sent out uh, an email to my mailing list and I say, if you know of anybody, you know what jump camp is, if you want to promote it, then go ahead and send this email down to anybody else. That's how, that's all I do. There you go. So know someone that knows someone. You know someone Scott, that so. knows someone. Uh, Scott, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Um, again, folks, this episode 162 of the Galen Trombley show. We're out. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.